All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? Uh, all indictment, I guess, in uh, correcting my errors. Whose indictment? My indictment? Your indictment? Big guy, Mr. Trump. Trump's indictment. Oh, not Biden's indictment. Not Hunter, not Joe. No. How about, ah, okay. what do you have? All right, I have the uh, Nashville massacre, the shooting at the school connected to the church. Uh-huh. I have Kamala in Africa, which is really a Cold War Three update. And I have a story sent to us uh, at the request of a producer, Big DNAZ. And this is a really good story about China interfering with elections in Canada. So, okay. Good stuff. Okay, people, let's begin. Get up, everybody! We have liftoff. Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast, episode 12. It's Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, which is actually fitting for us having our first Saturday show instead of a Friday show. I'm Andrew Marcus, documentary filmmaker, podcaster. With me always is Jeremy Siegel, also documentary filmmaker and podcaster. I'm back. Welcome back, Jeremy, to the Truth Bay Podcast, where we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's culture and cultural narrative in our shining image, Jeremy. I'm glad to be back. It felt a little weird not doing this on Friday, but uh, doing it on Saturday, hopefully it's better. Uh, What happened? Why were you not able to join us on Friday? I was traveling all day long in a very long car ride through tornadoes and storms in multiple states. So basically you were going through really interesting things. And we didn't get you on the phone and do the recording that way while you're going through tornadoes. Jeremy, you would have been the truth bait hero if you had done that. Yeah, but I just would have been talking about the different signs on the road and the mountains and the things I was looking at. And I wouldn't have been able to really give any type of commentary on these stories and narratives that were being inundated with this week. Well, that's okay. I would do that. And then you would break in with, I just saw a cow flying. (laughs) Yeah, we're 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 under the underpass. Let's see. I might have. Well, that's not exactly tornado. That's gentle. No, but that's kind of how it was <laughs> last night. That was like the sound blowing through my van. Here, this is called bomb cyclone. Let's see what that sounds like. Oh, no, that's just a bomb. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Okay. Well, I'm glad you made it through. I'm glad you got back, and that everybody is safe. Yes. You must be white knuckling it when that happens because you have a you have a big family. You have I know when I'm driving with my family, I feel the pressure of the responsibility that I have all of their lives in my hands. And you have uh, at at least double that (laughs) going on in your family. Does everybody sit in the back of your car complaining about your driving? 
No, I let my kids use electronics, and so they're uh, mostly just quiet, gentle souls back there. We have audio books. So they're sometimes quiet and sometimes... What What are you doing with your driving that they're complaining, Jeremy? Well, we were actually on a lot of twisty roads, so we had a lot of nauseous car sickness going on. Ah. And uh, that just led to a theme of the week of complaining about the roads and <laughs> Wait, blaming it on me. At, at, some point, <laughs> at some point, doesn't it just become a challenge where you're, you want to try and get someone to throw up? No, I just kept trying harder and harder to make the turns smoother and smoother, and the roads kept getting windier and windier. So, uh, yeah, I guess we have different approaches. Glad to be be out of the car and back in the studio for all of this uh, interesting and uh, somewhat scary news that we're. Yeah, what a day for us to postpone, too, because we had the Trump indictment, which is an enormous story. And we have the Nashville uh, uh, massacre. The, the trend derailment, as I've been calling it, because I'm so clever. Uh, uh, these are hu- both huge stories, frankly. Uh, w- w- what are we going to start with? Well, I've got some stuff on uh, the indictment, and we remember I had been predicting Trump would not be indicted. Well, I, initially I predicted he wouldn't be, and then he wasn't. So I was right. Okay, well let's we'll go we'll get into the indictment first. Okay. And then And I want to hear what you I want to know what you think about it because and this is why I didn't know which story we should lead with because I uh, I I don't know how I feel about this indictment yet. I mean, on one level it's infuriating. And on another level there's a part of me that is maybe I'm numb to it all. I just don't I almost don't care. I'm both at the same time. I'm furious and I don't care. At the same time, it's a huge story, and I think it's also being used to bait people into violence, and I think it's being used to distract people from even bigger stories, even more important disasters on our immediate horizon. So, I don't know. What do you think? Seems like you just summed it up, and I probably don't need to talk about it now. Ah, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree with. I've been bottled up with it. I guess. I agree with. I agree with. I agree with that. I think. Uh, I do think there's some narratives that are emerging out of it, and there's also a, a couple of traps that are emerging out of it, um, and I think those are the things that we need to pay attention to. But I think that we shouldn't uh, let it bog us down. There's there's like a bunch of explosions going on right now all at once in, you know, the revolutionary scheme that we're encountering. And, you know, this is one of those lines of effort. So I'll just start. Real, real quick, what would I tell you about how crazy all of that is that you're talking about that they're willing to use something like this as a tool in that moment? That, that everything is so crazy right now. So many things are happening that this is re- something this monumental is reduced to a distraction tool or a narrative shaping tool or uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think. Well, I think we've seen now with the people in power, um, they're not really hesitant to use 
anything. Um, they, you know, even with the way COVID went, I mean, we've now seen them go to great lengths and, uh, I think we're going to see things shaping up even worse. Uh, and that's what we need to be ready for. Um, and so I'm, I, I, I'm going to start off with some clips just from, uh, mainstream media that I think sort of highlight what these angles and narratives are and what they're trying to achieve through this. Uh, here's Stephanopoulos on uh, ABC. John Carlson, our legal contributor, Kate Shaw, professor of constitutional law at Cardozo Law School. Kate, let me begin with you. I want to ask you the question that I asked Joe Tacopina. I was a little surprised by the reports of the volume of charges here at least two dozen, perhaps closer to three dozen. What does that tell you? A couple of things. One, it could be just that each each check involved in this scheme is being separately charged, or it could mean that there is more to this case than we right now have insight into. Of course, grand jury proceedings are secret, and we are you know largely speculating. We know that these hush money payments, and in particular how they were recorded, are at the heart of this case. But what else the case involves, and in particular what other crime or crimes might bump this state misdemeanor up to a felony, you know, is largely an open question. So it could be a campaign finance violation, as you were just discussing. In theory, it could be another state tax crime. So I think the large number is really striking. I was struck by that, too. I think it could mean, you know, one of those two things or potentially something else entirely. One of the challenges for prosecution will be if this is indeed using a state state prosecutors to uh, charge it connected to a federal crime. This is something that's been said is untested. It is quite untested. Um, as you were just discussing, you know, federal prosecutors have not brought any federal charges against former President Trump regarding the treatment of this money, right, whether these were, in fact, campaign contributions that should have been recorded and treated as such. And it is, I think, to say the least, novel for a state prosecutor to be in a position of using a federal charge, an uncharged federal crime, to enhance a state offense of falsification of business records. That doesn't mean a judge would not accept such a theory or that a jury would not convict, but I think it's right that it certainly appears to be a novel theory if, in fact, that is the theory the DA is using. So for starters, this... It's like the virus. Yeah, there's a new novel, a new novel <laughs> legal theory. Uh, now that everybody... There's a new variant yes. of the Constitution, Jeremy. <laughs> this is a new variant of prosecuting federal crimes through state, uh, state legal apparatuses is apparatus is the right word, or is it like apparatus? Apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it's just apparatus. Uh, this is, I think, probably the key thing that people should be aware of, or at least what I think is is happening right now, and sort of why they're using us with all of the um, commentary on the weakness of this case, even coming from people on the left, um, but a lot of people on the right are sort of, you know, trying, they're scratching their heads. A lot of the coverage is what's going on here. Why are they even bringing this case? And now Stephanopoulos seems to be saying the same thing. Why, you know, how, how difficult this is. And this is, I think the new key phrase here is this novel legal theory um, that we're looking at that, that, uh, I think that's exactly it. The point here, just like the impeachment was, is to bring in these extra legal 
practices that we have never seen and they say are untested. I could suggest that perhaps untested and novel might be being used to substitute for constitutional or legal. These are things that by everybody's acknowledgement hasn't happened before. And so why is that? Why all of a sudden is that happening? Is it to use these things to get Trump? It Trump seems pretty confident, his attorneys seem pretty confident that this is going to fail. So I suspect the reason <laughs> why because they've seen they've seen so much justice up to now. Well, every other thing against him has failed so far pretty much other than the coup in January 2020. Uh, but as far as impeachment Yeah, but he him, wasn't in the judicial system then. He was in the Congress being judged in the impeachments. Well, that's true, and it might be different in the courts here. But I think uh, doesn't he have it? Didn't he draw a judge that is that 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 found against his companies for basically the same matter? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think here he's hosed, man. I don't know if he's hosed. <laughs> I think guilty or not guilty, what you're seeing here, and I think the the greater play for them is 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 that. He's gonna. This is gonna be used to cause everybody to accept, or maybe not cause everybody, but to cause a large number of people to accept this as a new process. Basically, we we will have states prosecuting federal crimes. Uh, that should probably be pretty alarming to people, uh, regardless of how you feel about Trump being, you know, innocent or guilty. Uh, I'll continue on here with the rest of this clip. That's the first thing I think, though, is this novel legal theory. And that that's popping up in every report across the media. John, how many times in the last seven or so years have you word, heard the words novel and unprecedented? Even Stephanopoulos is pointing it out for us. Something else novel and unprecedented running for president. After an indictment. Like yeah, this. I mean, we've, we've heard this from the beginning of the Trump era, but this is really all new. I mean, the idea, not just a former president being indicted, George, but the leading candidate for the Republican presidential nomination getting indicted. And look at the reaction uh, coming from the Republican Party, Republican leaders, even his potential and current opponents coming out and defending him on this. Uh, they're so far, at least, but we've got at least two more sets of prosecutors out there. Yeah, you have potentially three more indictments. You've got two federal prosecute, two, two federal cases, the documents, and of course January 6th, and the Georgia case involving his effort to overturn the election in that state. So it's interesting to see Republicans come out and give the blanket defense without knowing all the facts. So <laughs> I think that's interesting because everybody's pointing this out and it gets pointed out in... Uh, the next clip that I'm going to play also, but is is that they're saying this is blanket defense. Now, let me ask you a question. I've, I've got and I've got something right at the heart of this one, too. I can't wait to see where you're going. Well, I, wanna, I can't wait to show you what I've got. I don't know if they relate, but my my question for you is. What if Trump did do what he's being accused of doing? What if he is guilty? What if he broke the law? Yeah, I actually, uh, I think that 
he couldn't possibly have broken any law that is worth the destruction that this is doing. And so I have to believe that they want the destruction that they know it's causing. I'm sure they do. I'm just wondering if... I don't know if he did or not. I, ha- I have no idea. I, haven't been, I frankly have not been following his cases that closely because I, at this point, I find everything they're doing to him to just be nonsense. I've tuned it out. I don't care. Okay. Well, that's, that's one thing that's happening. I'm not saying I don't care if he broke the law. I'm saying I don't care what these people are accusing him of anymore. They are the boy that cried wolf on steroids. Okay. So let me go into the next clip. Nora O'Donnell, uh, she's CBS, and there's a few narratives being set in here. Now to our other top story and the historic criminal indictment of Donald Trump. CBS News has learned the former president will turn himself in on Tuesday for processing at a Manhattan courthouse. That means getting fingerprinted and having a mugshot taken. CBS's Robert Costa has new reporting tonight on security concerns in New York City. Former President Trump's indictment has law enforcement in New York on high alert, with security increased around Manhattan Criminal Court and Trump Tower. Trump is expected to fly to New York Monday and overnight at his residence. Tuesday, he'll travel downtown to court, a movement involving over 100 Secret Service agents and other law enforcement. Once inside the courthouse, Trump will stand for a mugshot and be fingerprinted. He is unlikely to be handcuffed, and then he'll be arraigned at 2.15 p.m. The announcement of the indictment last night stunned the former president, especially after reports in recent days suggested the grand jury's work might have stalled. Sources Wait. say the indictment could include about... He's been predicting his indictment. <laughs> he was stunned, though, because he, <laughs> he predicted was stunned it. that what he said was going to happen, yeah. happened. Well, I'd, see, and I was stunned because what I said was going to happen didn't happen. So. Well, you should have been stunned. Yeah, I was. I <laughs> you you predicted the opposite of what Trump was predicting. Well, but he didn't. But he shouldn't have been stunned. You should. He's been. talking about Trump predicted he would be arrested two Tuesdays ago, and he wasn't. So now he's stunned because he thought that they were going on vacation. I think it shocked a few people. I think people thought this was going away. I think people believed me. I think they might be <laughs> even doing this because of what I predicted. It's possible. <laughs> you have to be careful what you say on the Truth Bait podcast. Let me continue here. While privately fuming, allies say Trump is convinced Republicans will keep rallying to his side and not give an opening to rivals like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't know if voodoo's legal in New York, but this is legal voodoo. The unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States for a campaign finance issue is an outrage. Today, Bragg hit back at Republicans who have claimed that the investigation was politically motivated, calling that baseless and inflammatory. The heated rhetoric has New York law enforcement bracing for violence next week. After Trump's indictment, some on social media called for war and said it's time for a real insurrection. Former NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton. What most worries the NYPD at a moment like this? Lone wolf. A lone wolf who is not bragging on social media that he's going to do this or going to do that. Somebody that all of a sudden shows up uh, who's not on the radar, that uh, who has a grievance, whether it's a grievance against the president, grievance against the, now the district attorney. Uh, it's the unknown that's always uh, a great concern. Robert Costa joins us now from outside the courthouse. And Robert, what do we know about these charges against Donald Trump? 
Sources tell CBS News that this indictment could be sprawling and include alleged financial crimes far beyond that Stormy Daniels payment. This all comes as former President Trump's allies are increasingly on edge about possible other indictments, whether it's from the Georgia election investigation or from the special counsel in Washington, who's probing January 6th and Trump's handling of classified records. So they're still pushing all the... That's in both reports. They're still pushing all of the... Oh, you know, the the outlying uh, investigations that are are to come. But I think here is the... I feel like they're setting something up here that's like a transition with the pro uh, or anti-law enforcement narrative they came out with. If after January 6th, they switched everybody, you know, all of a sudden it was the Republicans that were uh, a anti-law, anti-law enforcement, enforcement and, and the Democrats have always been pro-law enforcement. And so it's pro-America's institutions. Right. Uh, I think there's something <laughs> happening here where everybody is taking – and the reason I ask that question is, you know, do, if he did do these things, should he be prosecuted for them? Because I feel like the tact – with Jim Jordan and the guys in Congress who are now, you know, wanting to bring Bragg in to investigate. And the way they're describing these things as Republicans are defending him regardless of the facts or the facts haven't even come out yet. We haven't even well, seen the indictment yet. Well, I can tell you why the Republicans yet. are defending him. That's, I've got that clip as <laughs> to why they're defending him. Do uh, you want to yeah. hear that? Uh, okay. This is. Do you remember? Would you call Glenn Beck a an ally of Trump or a supporter of Trump or a never Trumper? Where would you put him on the spectrum? Uh, he was initially a never Trumper, and I would say a fairly belligerent one that actually seriously damaged his business, and he. He he basically repented and apologized to Trump and his whole family for the way that. Do you he think behaved. because he saw the light, or because his business was nearly ruined? I suspect it's a combination of something of the two. There, I mean, at some point he had to be like, "Wow, I really miscalculated on this one." And okay, this clip makes me makes me doubt that generous interpretation listen to this this is glenn beck on tucker carlson i've got the same clip this is insane you do you have the same clip okay listen listen i'll play it listen to this this is insanity and by the way that's the first time that's ever happened on the truth bait podcast where jeremy and i jeremy collects his clips i collect my clips we have no idea what each are are collecting specifically we just know in general sort of the topics we're going for and you know, he and I know each other well enough to sort of have an idea where we might be going, but we don't have any idea what we're specifically picking. The The fact that we find it, it took 12 episodes and we finally crossed the streams and both have the same clip. <laughs> this is insanity. B- Donald Trump, the reason why this is going to um, help Donald Trump, and that's why I don't think they're doing it so he can't run. They're doing it because they want people to strike out. Please Turn to God, repent, pray for our country, 
pray for peace. Put on the full armor of God. But here's what's really what they miss. Donald Trump is not even a person anymore. He is a symbol. He is a symbol of the average everyday guy that keeps getting screwed every single time. Watches other people screw up big banks, screw up their companies and get away with it. They see people all the time doing stuff that they know if they did, they'd be in prison for 20 years. But because they're not part of the elite, they get away with it. He misspoke there. He's saying because they are part of the elite, they get away with it. Donald Trump has taken arrow after arrow, and that's why this is the way the average American feels tonight. And when he said that, he put on a MAGA hat, which blew me away because when Trump was first running for office, far from putting on a MAGA hat, he put on a Cheeto face. Do you remember that? Yes. When he rubbed his face in in a plate of Cheetos. Him and his producers, which in in making fun of was, Orange Man, I, I, and I think you could probably mark the beginning of the death of his company as he knew it. Uh, in that moment, when he and his producers, four middle-aged, uh, moderately overweight white guys, <laughs> uh, in uh, like in uniform, they're all like wearing the same you know Glenn Beck uniform of a sweater with a button down <laughs> underneath it in blue jeans, and they all have uh, uh, swim goggles on, like swimming goggles, yeah, bow ties, and uh, and they rub their faces hat. in the Cheeto dust, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I was just blown away that he's now putting on a MAGA hat, and you can see from the video the MAGA hat is even signed. So yeah, I, I assume there must have been a reapprochement. But this this next part to me illustrates to me it gives up the game as to why the Republican establishment and people who may or may not be questionable Trump supporters like Glenn Beck are rushing to his defense. Listen to this, and we'll see if, if you pick it up, too. Yeah. I hope that there's a few Republic or Democrats out there, but this guy has been taking the bullets for the average person now for years, and people on the right feel like he's the only guy that really gets what the f- people are feeling. And it's, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna end well, uh, for the Democrats in the next election. It's just not. I don't know if Donald Trump is the winner or not, but I will tell you this. You're not going to stop a hundred million people. This country is in shambles. And there's going to be a hundred million people that will walk on broken glass and through fire to vote for someone other than this corrupt banana republic administration. Okay, to me, that gives up the game as to what the Republicans are doing. They, of course, are rushing to Trump's aid because they don't, they don't, uh, they don't want Trump to win the nomination, although I think they are pretty much resigned to the fact that he's going to win the nomination. But I think that they feel like this gives them their best chance to do two things, to jettison Trump and ride on the coattails of all of the anger that people have for what they've done to Trump. So even if I think they feel they have an idea in their minds that they're going to be able to harness all of the backlash to their benefit, while also jettisoning Trump. Mm, 
And they're in on it. The GOP establishment is in on this. Well, I think they're in on it. I think the angle I was seeing more was encouraging everybody to continue to take the posture that, you know, this is this is ridiculous. And this is a, you know, witch hunt and there's no basis for it. Yeah, but and if they really felt that adamantly about that, wouldn't they have been raising their voice about this before it happened? They saw it coming. I don't think they feel that adamantly about that. But I, like I said, I think there's a transition here where where the the painting of the picture is every time they talk about him being fingerprinted and mugshot, they're also commenting that there's no special um you know, there's no special thing that can happen for the president here. This is a typical normal and it's the same thing everybody has to go through. So they're they're painting him as, you know, the regular common man, basically. And they're right, they want him to win. And, the left wants and him to win. Setting, they're setting up the narrative that they're the ones seeking to use the system use the justice system give him his 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 day in court which Nancy Pelosi said did you see what Nancy Pelosi said cuz hers was great right. yeah he has to he gets to prove his innocence right and and Fox News covered for that listen to this Pelosi reacting to former Trump's uh, former president Trump's indictment saying in part quote no one is above the law and everyone Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reacting Sorry. to former Trump's uh, former President Trump's indictment, saying in part, "quote No one is above the law, and everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocence." Pelosi turning our legal system on its head because you know in the U.S. those accused of crimes are innocent until proven guilty. Joining us now, Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, a well-seasoned lawyer himself. So, Congressman, we'll begin there. Your reaction to the speaker's, I, I would imagine, flub. Did you hear that? Did you hear right? Fox, yeah, she, she calls it a she, flub. She's covering for her. She's covering, <laughs> she's covering for her. Covering for Pelosi didn't flub. Pelosi knew exactly what she was saying. She knew exactly what she was doing. This is a very smart, sophisticated revolutionary you're looking at nancy Pelosi, and this is where I think that narrative. Well, leads. she's also a total. She's an elder. Elderly person, very elderly. Yeah, but she knows exactly. And an alcoholic, I believe. So but she knows it, it, exactly what she's doing there. First of all, she's she could have been drunk tweeting. I'm gonna. I have to say, she could have been drunk tweeting. The woman is a box wine advertiser. Even so. if she was drunk tweeting, her tweet was designed to have maximum impact, and that maximum impact was reinforcing the narrative that. Everybody gets their day in court. Even Donald Trump is going to get his day in court, just like everybody else. He's and nobody's nobody's entitled to special treatment. But you people over there defending him right now, you're the ones saying he's entitled to special treatment that he shouldn't uh, see, be prosecuted. Yeah, I, I, I hear where you're, you're right. That is exactly where they're going, and that is why everybody needs to make sure that the narrative is about equal justice. So yeah, you know what? I do want him prosecuted if he broke the law, if it's equal justice. Right. See, I... Th and we don't have equal justice. No, we so don't. I, I, no, we don't. 
And that's what I, more than justice, more important than justice itself is equal justice. Because you can't have justice without equal justice. That's right. Period. That's right. So, so this system cannot try him. Right. So everybody it's, has it's seen, no credibility. Everybody has seen, as Glenn Beck said, for years and years and years now, everyone's getting screwed. Everyone's getting the shaft. We see what they're doing. We see how they're breaking laws left and right. They're never, ever paying the same price that we are. And we're fed up, right? I mean, you said it. You're fed up enough that you don't even want to hear about it. You know, you're, it's, you don't care at this point. Like, it doesn't matter. And I, Well, I just don't, they don't have any credibility to me, so why should I continue to listen to their accusations? Right, but I, I'm under no obligation to continue to listen to people who repeatedly lie to me. Right, so I see these Republicans coming out with this defense— Nobody's read the indictment yet. The media is saying, look, how they're all defending him. Nobody's read the indictment yet. Pelosi is the one saying he deserves his day in court, and he's uh, he has a chance to prove himself innocent. That comment was on purpose because that it just continually reinforces to people that the, that the legal system and justice system – doesn't work the way it was designed to, and that is what you have to do now, that once you're indicted, you're guilty. That's what this means, and you get a chance to prove yourself innocent. That was on purpose. Shannon Bream was wrong for covering for her and calling it a flub, and a lot of people are coming to the defense. I'm not saying it's wrong to defend him, but that's why I asked the question, what if he is guilty. Should the law apply? Should the law be applied? Yes, it should. It should also be applied to every other one of them that breaks the law and never faces justice. But that's what I think is this kind of narrative trap here where they're trying to flip it, where we're the anti-justice. We want special privilege for our president. And this is a big witch hunt waste of time. And they're the ones saying, He's getting treated just like everybody gets treated. So to me, they're, that's what they're trying to flip this into, just like they tried to flip the law enforcement one. This is the Brennan clip uh, saying that people are innocent until alleged of committing a crime. Joining us now in studio, former CIA Director John Brennan. He is a senior national security and intelligence analyst for NBC News. Mr. Director, good to see you. I know you haven't read through the indictment. We're still reading through it ourselves. But what's <laughs> wait, your initial reaction? This clip just actually flashed something very interesting. It flashed. Notice how neither party has read through what they are getting ready to talk about. Right. <laughs> your initial reaction to the well, arrest the, of Roger Stone? the term Stone. that's being used is unsurprising. I mean, yeah. everybody was expecting this. Roger Stone was expecting it as well. But like many people in the Trump orbit, uh, Mr. Stone has an established track record of being unethical and unprincipled. And now this is catching up with him. And now a seven-count indictment, I think it's a very serious one, uh, but it shows that the special counsel's office is uncovering the evidence it needs. And so just like uh, Mr. Stone's indictment, I'm not going to be surprised by the other indictments that are going to be coming down the pike very soon. Roger Stone has said recently, I will never testify against Donald Trump. Do you think that calculus has changed this morning? I think it's changing and will change. Uh, you know, if he decides to go down uh, for Mr. Trump, uh, it's going to be you know his loss. But I think there are many people who have that position and then change it very quickly when, as was said, the federal guidelines, sentencing guidelines, uh, tend to uh, sink into them. Mr. Brennan, as you kind of watch the Mueller dominoes fall, and you said uh, 
More to come very, very soon. Who's the next domino? I'll put you on the spot. I'm going to Jimmy the Greek here. Who's the next domino? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's all we you, uh, speculate. Give me, give me no, a no, guess. I'm not going to speculate. Not no, because you know people are innocent until you know, alleged to be involved in some type of criminal activity. <laughs> a double bell there. Um, yeah, I think that this was clearly by design, her tweet, and that's that that has been the way they've been operating for a long time. If you're not part of the club and if you're a regular person, you are presumed guilty until you're able to prove yourself innocent. So that that one was on purpose. I think people need to watch out for the blind defense uh, that that's how this is going to get spun and and that's what they're going to get paint that you know that's how you're going to be painted and I, I I think you know if you look at the way Trump's team is handling it um, they seem to have a lot of confidence um, that this is not going to go anywhere I guess we'll see about that well he's a salesman and that's the that's the line he has to sell and it's the smart play yeah i mean i think that's what you do i think what um something glenn i think that he is up against a a brick wall with the judge that he drew that they drew for him although you know and i want to say even though as i said before and i think i still agree with myself (laughs) that he is i think hosed in terms of the legal jeopardy because the deck is stacked against him and that they want to sow that much chaos. Right. That said, I think, I think he I think he still wins. And I think, and I think that's what they want too. I think that and that's the thing that uh that legal expert uh who they went to in the Nora O'Donnell clip talking about lone wolf. And everybody needs to watch out for a lone wolf and you know, be prepared for what you can't prepare against. They're they're they are trying. Right, is that their message to to the, that's how they trigger the lone wolf to go ahead and do whatever they programmed him to? Right. They're trying to provoke a violent response. That's what they're looking for. And yes. and so the more they can, you know, get these narratives to fly and get you embedded in your you know, your belief and in, in your way of looking at this, and the more you feel helpless, the more you feel compelled to do something because you don't know what to do. And I, that that's the thing everybody needs to really watch out for. That's where I thought... And that's what they've done to the left. That's how you end up with that Nashville shooter, probably, because that type of person, that desperate, uh, mentally unstable person... It thinks that they that it is that desperate of a situation, and they pop off. They go nuts, right? So they're provoking both sides. Absolutely, they they want us in a fight. I think that it's it, they and and Glenn Beck said it right prior to the clip you played. Let me just jump into the middle of it there, uh, so you can hear it because I think he he lays it out accurately. 
So let me, I, I've got a couple of things here for you. Um, let me just go through. I'm going to bring, a, I think, a different perspective to this. We have the banking crisis. They say it's fine. It's just beginning. We, um, yesterday, we had the Saudis and uh, Brazil and um, uh, China enter a deal to where the petrodollar is over. Brazil and China are going to cha- uh, trade in their own currency. That's the beginning oh. of the end of our currency. That- he must have been listening to the previous episode of the Truth Date podcast that's right. when, I, when we, we warned everybody that that's what's that's happening. exactly what I thought when I heard that. That means a dollar collapse. That yes. means we become Venezuela. We will have war with China. We will have war with Russia and Iran. Uh, we have the restrict bill. We have social media and our NSA and everybody else in bed with each other, silencing people. We, of course, have the raccoon dogs, which we all know is bullcrap. And now this week, we have a new uh, gun grab that they're trying to do. Um, Biden and his family taking money from the Chinese. What do you think this Donald Trump thing is really all about? The The America that we knew, the fundamental transformation that started in 2008, is finished. We are no longer viewed as a superpower. We are now a an elderly, what we're Joe Biden, just walking into the twilight. What this is all about, I believe, is trying to inflame this country. Is in it, they've wanted violence from the right from the beginning. They can't yeah. wait it. They need it. That I think definitely spells it out accurately and that's what people need to look out for with all of this stuff because like you're going to talk about with this shooting and all of these shootings that are going on um and all of the things that back listed there which are things we've talked about um there's it's it's almost as if we're entering you know the crisis phase of the revolution um and you i think he's right when he says people need to be repenting and praying (laughs) and you got to rely on god here because right and and be peaceful i agree you got to be peaceful and nonviolent resistance is is going to be a key to any any effort of trying to restore what this country uh, used to be. Um, we are all Falun Gong now. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. Uh, and you know what, though? Here, let me, let me play this one last clip off of. I found this online. Uh, so somebody went out uh in it looks like it's somewhere in florida maybe miami a lot of palm trees i don't know maybe it's california uh asking people what they think about trump being indicted this was very interesting how do you feel about trump getting indicted they need to free my boy would you say that like this whole thing to try and arrest him is almost like a witch hunt would you say that yeah because out of every other president they only doing this for him he's been exposing and they don't like that Trump 24 my brother they know they can't get him for none of the real we get it, gang. Free him. I ain't used to like that. But now, bro, I realize that he meant well for the country. And shit, bro, we need that back. Free Trump. Trump 2024. 
All right. So every time the audio dropped out, that's because they're either using the N word or the S words. <laughs> just, just so you're aware why that all that audio was dropping out. So those were all black people. Yeah. Well, they're they've been dispensed of by the left. They're no longer their vote is no longer necessary and needed. Uh, but I think that's the sentiment of most people right now. I mean, most basically, the 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 mask keeps coming off, and people are awake, which means they have to ramp things up harder. The more people are, and it's kind of scary. The but the the more people are awakening to what's going on, the harder they have to crack down on everybody. See, that's why people have to understand what is happening, that this is a much larger salvo of attacks. This is just the latest salvo in this long line of attacks. And you can't take their bait. You have to cling to the truth. You have to cling to the truth bait. Don't cling to their narrative uh, Marxist bait, their Marxist narrative bait, uh, trying to provoke you into... Uh, an, an act that furthers their revolution. Uh, you know, the, I'll say the last thing I'll say on it, because as I'm listening to you and I discuss this, and remember I started this by saying, I'm of mixed heart on this, I'm of mixed mind. On one hand, I think it's a, a terrible thing that they've done, and on the other hand, I'm numb to it and I almost don't care. And I think what I've, the conclusion I've come to is that I love that they've done this. I love it. You know why I love it, Jeremy? Because it puts it right in everybody's faces just how far down the road to ruin we are. And people will do anything to bury their heads in the sand and and pretend like the status quo still exists somewhere, that we still are America, and we're not. And we're, it's not that we're not because of things like this. Things, of this things, things like this are happening because we're not America anymore. And so you need to have it shoved right in your face. It's frankly, it's one of the reasons I'm kind of hoping Brandon Johnson wins in Chicago. The guy's a communist. He pals around with, with Bill Ayers, an unrepentant domestic terrorist, uh, an, an open communist. So to me, he's the more honest choice for Chicago. Paul Vallis is just going to... That's just the, Paul Vallis is an incremental socialist. Uh, Brandon Johnson is a is a, a a a all at all at once everything all at once everything everywhere all at once Marxist. <laughs> so, uh, but they're the same. It's the same bird. They're just different feathers on the same bird. So I I prefer the honesty of a Brandon Johnson. I prefer the honesty of Trump being indicted. It is where we are, and people need to see it. And I think it- so. Let me rephrase that. I don't love that it happened. I don't love that we are where we are. I, I hate that we are where we are. But if we're going to be where we are, this is what needs to happen. Yeah, I think in in some ways you need to embrace it. Uh, a lot of people have been thinking this is coming. Now it's here, and then it's how are you going to deal with it? You know, are you going to ride the coattails of Mike Pence and Lindsey Graham and just, you know, repeat what they're saying? You know, this is just it, he shouldn't even be indicted. Well, who who cares? He's indicted. So the, the don't get pigeonholed in in this trap of becoming the anti-justice, you know, Trump supporter. 
uh, afraid of the legal system, even though they're misusing it, we see it. Uh, you have to you have to look at how they're manipulating us to be in the you know paradigm that they want us in. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the most valuable advice that you will get from this segment. Don't engage in any of the narrative, frankly. Don't even debate it with anybody. I don't think you need to. No. And I think that's what people need to need to people need to move on from the media debate. Shut off the media. Yeah. Gather what you can, gather what you need, and then turn it off. And don't engage in the debate. Yeah, let's the go. The only place that you should be debating is in your own mind let's, or with a trusted friend like us at the Truth Bait Podcast. Let's go. I want to see what happens next. Let's go. Bring it on. Let's see what the DA's got. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I don't need them to be called before the committee on, in Congress. That's going to do nothing. It's going to exactly. It's gonna That's totally a, worthless. It's going to dangle a bunch of red meat out there for us to to have hopes that somehow the Congress is going to put uh, DA Bragg in jail for what he's well, and doing. It's like I said, he's it, it's it is it. It has, serves the function for the GOP establishment that they are on MAGA's side yeah, in this and moment. now they can go raise and more they, money. Right. They're going to raise more money. They're going to try and capture the anger, and they don't care what happens to Trump. They want him gone. And they don't care what happens GOP to you. GOP wants him gone. They don't care what happens to you. Don't send the GOP a dollar right If you send the GOP a dollar right now, turn off the, you're no longer a producer of the Truth Bait podcast. Turn it off. Go away. <laughs> yeah, send the dollar to the Truth Bait podcast. That's right. <laughs> Wait, that's later. Oh, yeah. We're doing that later. Um, we should move yes. on. Do you have anything no, else? No, that's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, uh, so, uh, again, these two stories, frankly, they connect because you're 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 coming at it from the narrative warfare angle, the propaganda warfare angle, and we need to approach the Nashville story that way too. And I want to give a warning. Actually, this is a warning to parents. This story may not be appropriate for young listeners as we discuss tragic events in the news. We will now give you a few moments to pause the program or fast forward if need be. And the reason I'm doing that, Jeremy, is because we've learned that there are families who enjoy truth bait together. And that that fills me. I don't know about you, but that fills me with joy. I'm, I'm, pa uh, I'm pausing. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you scared me. Uh, it is. I think well, that's, it it's a, it, we, hopefully we can always present uh, something that is uh, good and listenable to all Ears of all ages, it, but there are always it's not topics, vulgar, right? Yeah. There are always topics that uh, could be sensitive for some. This is people uh, to talk about this shooting is I don't think appropriate for children, uh, unless you're a parent who really knows how to uh, has control over that discussion. Uh, that is not our discussion to have with your children, and so you know the fact that there are children listening to this show, like I said, it gives me joy. But it also fills me with a sense of responsibility to the parents of our young listeners. And that's a trust I want to keep. I've, I want to earn it and I want to keep it. So that's why I want to give people a heads up on a story like this. And uh, I think we've probably given people enough time to either pause or, or scoot their children out of the room. Let's start this, Jeremy, with we were taken to task about how we treated this story I think rightfully so we were taken to task. I appreciate that we were taken to task. Do you have the letter that we were sent on this? Yeah, I have the email. It's from Jeff T. in Wisconsin. 
shouldn't have been so glib and irreverent in the opening segment when you all talked about the shooting in Nashville yesterday. I would hardly call that exciting news. My two cents. Exciting in quotes. And you put the exciting in quotes. Right. And Sorry if you were about to just say that. I, I, yeah, I didn't know that exactly was, those what he was talking words. about. I didn't know exactly what he was talking about. I was certainly like, whoa, what did we say? Um, yeah, I, it was I, it was me. I'm the one who used the word exciting, and I was the one who, uh, I won't speak for you, I, I, you know, I was listening back through the podcast. We listen to every, or I do, I listen to every uh, recording. I try to listen to it the same day we record it, and I was cringing listening back to it, that it came across much more... Uh, my irreverence I felt was uh, imprecise enough that it was certainly open to be interpreted as though I was being irreverent about the shooting. And that certainly was not my intent, but that is absolutely how it came across. And I was cringing when I was listening to it. And then this letter uh, came through maybe a couple of hours later and I couldn't help but agree. I, you know, I thought, yeah, yeah, we blew it on that. I think we were too irreverent. I, yeah, uh, I re-listened to it also, and I I felt the same thing. I I feel like I have somewhat of a of a defense for you, which is that so many people who have been writing in and giving us great encouragement have also said to <laughs> from the very beginning of the show, let's keep up the enthusiasm and tempo and sometimes this show is unscripted and we're trying to keep things entertaining and energetic and i feel like sometimes in the middle of doing that and introing the show um i do think it was a mistake and a, and and not a correct way to treat the subject matter um that that's yeah, exactly I think what we, happened we don't have, is we're at episode 12 we don't have full command over the skills of communicating through podcast. I think I'm very uh, excited about the, the progress you and I have. I, there, I just used excited again. <laughs> I'm very encouraged by the progress you and I have made in developing our skills in podcasting. We still have some work uh, to to perfect those skills, it, it probably will be a never ending quest to perfect those skills. But I I was grateful that he wrote in and no, gave I, us the opportunity. I, to I thought it, it was extremely valuable feedback, really, because it is while we are trying to bring an entertaining and sometimes humorous angle to a lot of these stories. Although this one, I don't know that there's much humor to be found. Is you know you're you're trying to convey a story, you're trying to keep it in that you know, energetic way and you're starting to talk about what the show is going to be like. And this one came out the wrong way, which it should have been treated more seriously, obviously. Well, it, sh it should have been treated the way we're about to. Okay. Then let me hear what you have found. All right. Well, let's begin. Uh, background on Monday, March 27th, 28-year-old woman stormed a Presbyterian church in Nashville, Tennessee, and murdered three children and three adults in a shooting rampage that lasted 14 minutes before police stormed the building and ended the life of what appears to be, at first blush, a gender-based terror attack on the Christian community. And here's my first clip. It's from CBS. 
see if you can, if you notice what's missing from this. Three adults and three children were killed at a school shooting in Tennessee. Police say the shooter was a 28-year-old who was armed with at least two assault rifles and a handgun. They were killed after a confrontation with police. Their motive is still under investigation. (laughs) Okay, let's break that one down just for a second. Did you notice what was missing? Uh, That it was a transvestite. Listen to this. Listen to this. Three adults and three children were killed at a school shooting in Tennessee. Police say the shooter was a 28-year-old who was armed with... Oh, wow. <laughs> the shooter was a 28-year-old... 28-year-old... Uh, uh, yeah, I didn't even... I think they probably removed the audio. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. Wow. A 28-year-old something. A 28-year-old what? Mountain lion? A 28-year-old. A 28-year-old, and that is all you need to know. I guess you can't accuse them of lying assault. about that. What's I that? guess you can't accuse them of lying about that. And, and listen, to, listen to how they handle the pronouns. Rifles and a handgun. They were killed after a confrontation they? with police. Their motive is they're? still under investigation. All right, so they're honoring, they're honoring the pronouns. Right. While not mentioning the transness. And the reason for this, uh, there's an article from uh, it's up on Fox right now. CBS News reportedly barring staff from using the term transgender to, re- to reference Nas- Nashville shooter. Uh, quote, the shooter, this was from a memo to employees. Uh, quote, the shooter's gender identity has not been confirmed by CBS News. It's only been confirmed by the police when they they knew that the shooter was 28 years old. That means they knew who the shooter was. They haven't confirmed the gender because they haven't decided which gender to use on this person. The shooter, quote, the shooter's gender identity has not been confirmed by CBS News. As such, we should avoid any mention of it as it has no relevance to the crime. Should that change, we can and will revisit. The memo read per the New York Post. The memo continued, quote, right now we advise saying police identified the suspect as a 28-year-old, as 28-year-old, Audrey Hale, who they shot and killed at the scene, and move on to focus on other important points of the investigation, community, and solutions. That's, they're openly sending out memos to lie and propagate. They've decided that that the trans issue is not relevant. And by the way, it may not be relevant, but we don't know yet. And we'll get get to that. Uh, Grabian transcripts show that CBS News, CBS Evening News did mention how authorities revealed that the shooter identified as transgender on Monday's broadcast, but made no mention of it on Tuesday and Wednesday. However, CBS News anchor Nora O'Donnell did use female pronouns for the shooter on Tuesday. And that is because by Tuesday, they had decided to, it's, this is nuts, man. The media is having it both ways. They are, they are simultaneously claiming that this person was trans and therefore part of a protected class. And they are simultaneously disowning this person as trans and only referring to her as her. It, their brains are completely scrambled right now. They don't know. They, they, there's a lot of conflict going on inside these newsrooms. <laughs> Um, so now let's go to ABC 
where they lead into Biden's comments on the shooting. And these are the comments that went viral. Did you did you hear anything about these? What what Biden did in his comments? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you've been I, a bit I unplugged. Was, yeah, I was gone. Uh, and 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 when you were plugged in, you were uh, uh, focused like a laser on the indictment, which that you did all that while you were on the road and and got back late last night and still prep for the show. Uh, hats off to you, my brother. Uh, but. The, the part that went viral was that he, you know, he made comments at the White House, his first comments reacting to the shooting, and his first reaction was to make jokes. He made jokes about his ice cream. Now, I'm going to play this. This is ABC's lead into it, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving this moment long. This is going to be a, you know, a, a longer clip that you, because I want the audience to really understand what this guy did. And by the way, just so you know, people don't really, everybody's focused on the ice cream moment. What he did after that was far worse. So listen to this. Special report. And good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kira Phillips. We are coming on the air because President Biden is about to address the shooting earlier today at a school in Nashville, Tennessee. Three children and three adults were killed. Police say the shooter, a 28-year-old woman, is also dead. That music you're hearing in the background is hailed to the chief that they're playing as he's walking into the room uh, for what is a celebratory moment for the for the meeting, the gathering that he's there for. The uh, Small Business Association uh, uh, Ameri- uh, 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 women, Women's Business uh, uh, Group. So... It's their their second annual meeting. This is a big to-do, and they're all very excited. Terry Moran, what does the White House do? What we expect to hear from the president is the usual, the heartfelt, anguished expression of sorrow and sympathy uh, over this shooting and frustration calling on Congress to do more to keep the country's schools and streets safer. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. So he immediately goes into his comedy routine. He's working the crowd. He does this all the time. I mean, how many times have you heard that joke? Yeah. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. Oh, I did. By hear the way, this. I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm? Hold on. I just want to. I want to make sure people hear that part again. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband, <laughs> and I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip, and he says he has a, a full freezer of it. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. God. So he's not kidding. I uh, just want to remind people that $12 a pint, it's considered designer ice cream. Uh, if he has a whole freezer full of it, just like Nancy Pelosi showed her full freezer of Jenny's ice cream. These people are just obnoxious, elitist snobs. They're so clueless. They have no idea that they're rubbing it in everybody's faces. Ben, how are you, pal? One of the best guys in the United States Congress, Ben Cardin. <laughs> Folks, uh, welcome to the White House. It's a delight to have you all here. And who are those good-looking kids back there? Excuse me? So this is worse. 
This is worse than the ice cream part. And the ice cream part eclipsed this. What he does now is absolutely vile. He, instead of talking about the events that unfolded, he brings all the attention in the room to young children. It's a delight to have you all here. And who are those good-looking kids back there? They're your kids, all four of them? Well, stand up, guys. Well, I want you to know, like you, I had two brothers, three in our family, three brothers and one sister. And my sister is smarter than all of us. <laughs> Not a joke. She, she used to be three years younger than me. Now she's 23 years younger than me. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Help me out with that well, one. He's trying to flatter her, I suppose. That she looks younger yeah. or that he's so old. I feel like it's more self-deprecating that he is just a fossil. Could be. Yeah. She managed every one of my campaigns for office, even back when I was in high school. So blame her. We went to the same university two years apart. She graduated with honors. I graduated. Didn't he lie about how uh, his honors in graduating, that he was at the top of his class? And now he makes jokes that he just barely graduated? Well, it's just a little white lie. And we had a simple rule in the family. Listen to Val. My sister Valerie is incredible. So guys, be nice to your sister. You're going to need her. You're going to need her. I promise. It's the same lineup. You're the oldest. Who's number two? Number two? Who's number three? You're twins? Are you guys twins? Okay. All right. This is how it was in our outfit. He won't get to it. And, and it seems as though... He is just, you know, almost elderly uh, uh, meandering through this moment. And he's not, he, like, he's lost track of where he's supposed to go with it. But that's not the case. Listen to this. Well, I'm so glad to see you all. Thanks for coming with mom, okay? You got to take care of your mom. Dads are much harder to raise, but, you know. <laughs> Before I begin to speak, the reason I spend a little time in the kids, I... Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. The reason I spent a little time with the kids. This guy designed that moment. He thought that this was a good move. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about dead kids. I might as well uh, highlight some living kids. It, what, and to me, what is so horrible about this, A, <laughs> excuse me, the fact that he's about to traumatize these children in the room with this awful subject which we have invited on our podcast for people to get their children out of the room or to listen to this later when their children are not in the room he by design makes children a part of this moment which you know if you're a child and you're at the white house you're not thinking about the intricacies of the politics of this moment or that moment you're meeting the president of the united states it's the biggest moment of your life it's enormous and he's ruined it he ruins it. He's ruined it for them. He's now attached this trauma to what was would have otherwise been an amazing moment for them. So now here, here he goes to do his solemn duty. I just want to speak very briefly about the school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. <clears throat> you know, uh, Ben and I have been doing this our whole careers, it seems. And uh, it's just, uh, it's sick. You know, we're still gathering the facts of what happened and why. 
And we do know that as of now, there are a number of people who are not going to, did not make it, including children. It's heartbreaking, uh, a family's worst nightmare. Now, if you're one of the kids that just met him and was just a part of this grand moment, and now he's talking about that, how, how does that not traumatize the kids sitting there? I don't think they care that much about that. I mean, the, the kids? kids are sitting there as props. Oh, but, but suddenly they're confronted with, they're hearing about the murder of children. I think they're smart enough to know that they're listening to a, a, a story about the murder of children. No, it's I don't, not mean, they, they, I don't be, mean the kids don't care. I, I mean the, the, the Biden team, they don't care. Right. Oh, no. They're, they're, not only do they not care, they did this on purpose. Right. <laughs> they did this. They used them. Yes, you said it. They used them as props. And I want to commend the police who responded incredibly swiftly within minutes and the danger. We're monitoring the situation really closely, Ben, as you know. And uh, we have to do more to stop gun violence. It's ripping our communities apart, ripping the soul of this nation, ripping at the very soul of the nation. And we, we have to do more to protect our schools so they aren't turned into prisons. You know, uh, the shooter in this situation reportedly had two assault weapons and a pistol, two AK-47s. Okay, what? Two AK-4s? <laughs> yeah, right. Situation reportedly had two assault weapons and a pistol, two AK-47s. So I call him two AK-40s. Two AK-40s. Uh. <laughs> it's like, it, 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 as the words were coming out of his mouth, he, he realized he had no idea what he was talking about. And so he stopped himself, but it was too late. I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. It's about time that we began to make some more progress, but there's more to learn. But I just wanted to send my... Uh, Concern and hearts out to so many parents out there. How do you send your concern and hearts? He sent his hearts. Yeah. Uh, I guess he doesn't have any prayers to offer. I know that the left hates prayers and they attack prayer every time this happens, but I found it uh, a glaring omission. He apparently has multiple hearts. Uh, all made of stone, I think, but no prayers to offer. That's right. Uh, so, uh, let me, uh, yeah, so uh, what I was telling you that as as crazy as all of that was, it took what, it took in that clip it took about five minutes, or I'm sorry, about three minutes for him to get to to get to the comments, to get to the point. But Jeremy, this was, like I said, they were playing Hail to the Chief as he walked into the room. This was a celebratory event. Yeah, it turned around quite a bit from his jokes about ice cream. and. Well, that's why he was making those jokes, because he's at a big event. He's working the room. Like I said, it was the Small Business Association Women's Business Summit. And they were fawning over him. They were so excited. They were laughing. They were celebrating. And then he gets to the mic and he makes his jokes. Commenting on the shooting, Jeremy, was not the top priority. The SBA Women's Summit was the first priority, followed by designer ice cream. <laughs> 
And then coming in third, so at least it, uh, it was, uh, there's a win place and show. It showed, it made a showing of commenting on the Nashville massacre. Think about that. I think his a- his AK forty seven comment he screwed up he was he was probably supposed to say AR fifteen and realized it in the middle of saying AK forty seven they weren't even that and he couldn't and then he couldn't remember what he was supposed to say so he just well, AK forty <laughs> <laughs> just his his CPU shut down on him uh, he had an internal blue screen of death uh, uh, and you know what so at the end of this we're going to compare. That the fact you know this the way that the Biden administration handled this moment to the way the Obama administration handled a similar type of shooting uh, in a in a church complex. The shooting was in a school connected to a church. It was a religious school, so there was a it was a religious target. So, but let's stay here. Let's go. Let's go to ABC. And this next this this is interesting because. ABC, the anchor, lies in in the setup of this clip. Listen, listen to this. And we're starting our reporters there on the ground to get uh, brief interviews with parents there uh, just outside the school. Let's go ahead and take a listen to what we have, gentlemen. Aren't you guys tired of covering this? Aren't you guys tired of being here and having to cover all of these mass shootings? I'm from Highland Park, Illinois. My son and I survived a mass shooting over the summer. I am in Tennessee on a family vacation with my son, visiting my sister-in-law. I have been lobbying in D.C. since we survived a mass shooting in July. I have met with over 130 lawmakers. How is this still happening? How are our children still dying and why are we failing them? Gun violence is the number one killer of children and teens. It has overtaken cars. Assault weapons are contributing to the border crisis and fentanyl. We are arming cartels with our guns and our goose loose gun laws. And these shootings and these mass shootings will continue to happen until our lawmakers step up and pass gun safety legislation. I'm pretty sure this was an unsecured weapon that this teenager got a hold of. We can't even pass gun safety, like safe storage laws in this country to protect kids from getting a hold of weapons that they shoot each other with. Okay, this... That had so many lies in it. We have to go. I'm through having it. <laughs> flashbacks of high school right now. I grew up in Highland Park, and she sounds exactly like every annoying girl I ever grew up with. Well, I, I can't. I don't. I can't judge the veracity of anything she's saying. I'll take her at face value that that she is. Uh, that that what she's saying is true. That she was there. She is from Highland Park. She was there with her child. They survived the shooting. I won't question any of that. But what I will say is that the way this was set up was a lie from the start. And she just rattles off every propaganda line. So even if she's telling the truth, uh, all she is now is a propagandist. What she says is absolutely insane. I heard at least and two she, lies. She, it, 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 let's let's go through this. The first lie is from the anchor because she's not tossing to their crew that's talking to parents on the ground. This woman just walked up to the microphone at the very end of a police press conference about the event. That's what they were covering. Uh, I don't know if it was that she she didn't understand what her producers were telling her about what they were tossing to. But either it was a lie or it was so sloppy that they conveyed a total mistruth because 
this was just this was a a, a a propagandist who walked up to the microphone to get her point across. It's interesting. And we're starting. What's it's that? interesting that she happened to be there. She was at the Highland Park shooting. She's become now a lobbyist against gun rights. And then she just happened to be on vacation with her son there and decided she needed to go over there. Right. Listen, I'm not going to, I don't have any way to verify or discredit that element. I'm just it. saying so it's strange. I'm, I'm just saying that's strange. It is very strange. strange. I agree with you. It is. Vi- it it gives me red flags. It's very strange. Uh, but I don't want to doubt somebody that might have authentically gone through that because that was a, that was a a serious uh, terror attack. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be caught out there uh, uh, diminishing somebody's experience in that respect. But yes, it seems fishy and. Frankly, it's worse if it is true because now she is just a propagandist. The things that she says are completely insane. Let's let's play the clip again. And again, the the, the host is lying. And we're starting our reporters there on the ground to get uh, brief interviews with parents there uh, just outside the school. Let's go ahead and take a listen to what we have, gentlemen. So that would mean to me that, and knowing what you and I know about news production, the producer probably called in and said, hey, we have a parent that we're going to be talking to that's going to, that's going to take the mic. The parent was probably standing around as the news conference was going on. News producers are always paying attention to what's going on around them to scoop up a story. And they probably gave a heads up that there was going to be this interview with a parent. And again, I'm calling it a lie because the effect is what the host is putting out is completely not true. Either it's a lie or it has the exact same effect. It's just a complete falsehood. Aren't you guys tired of covering this? Aren't you guys tired of being here and having to cover all of these mass shootings? I'm from Highland Park, Illinois. My son and I survived a mass shooting over the summer. I am in Tennessee on a family vacation with my son, visiting my sister-in-law. I have been lobbying in D.C. since we survived a mass shooting in July. I have met with over 130 lawmakers. How is this still happening? How are our children still dying, and why are we failing them? Now, that's actually a very good question. That is a valid question. Unfortunately, her answers are all propaganda. Gun violence is the number one killer of children and teens. It- I guess if you don't count fentanyl. Yeah, right. It has overtaken. I mean, that they, they leave that out. Oh, car accidents. I, I went digging for the, for, the, for the numbers. I'm still digging. If anybody else has it, uh, the comparative numbers between uh, young people dying of gun violence versus young people dying of drug overdose. Uh, and by the way, I did go find... Uh, some of the stat on the gun violence, 43% of that stat are suicides. So I guess you can claim that the guns made them suicidal. Cars. Assault weapons are contributing to the border crisis and fentanyl. We are arming cartels with our guns. And Yeah, and if it wasn't for our guns, the cartels wouldn't have any guns at all whatsoever. Her, her recommendation is that we all give up our guns while she's recognizing the well-armed uh, uh, cartels, not only on the other side of the border, but inside of our country. Our goose loose gun laws and these shootings and these mass shootings will continue to happen until our lawmakers step up and pass gun safety legislation. I'm pretty sure this was an unsecured weapon. No. That this teenager got a hold of. Not a teenager. 
we can't even pass gun safety, like safe storage laws in this country to protect kids from getting a hold of weapons that they shoot each other with. We do have safe Which is not even laws. what happened here. I, yes, this, there are. Wisconsin right. has safe storage laws, and it's a, it's a felony. Uh, you can be charged with a felony if you leave a loaded firearm in the reach of a child or a, a minor. I mean, that is a law. So chalk filled with just propaganda. I mean, because uh, you know, if she's a survivor of 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 an incident like what happened in Highland Park, well, then I my heart goes out to her as it goes out to everybody. But that doesn't mean she's got a free pass to be a propagandist like David Hogg, another uh, victim turned piece of garbage. So. I just was blown away by, well, I guess I wasn't. I expect this from the media. I was blown away how blatant it was, though. Uh, so uh, last from ABC, and then we'll move on to other networks. Um, these two comments jumped out at me. Let's see if they jump out at you. How did this 28-year-old woman get access to two assault rifles and a handgun? It, 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 it is a conversation about guns, but also behavioral health. Were there signs what what did others know about this 28-year-old woman? Were there warning signs? One of the things we found in so many of these cases in the FBI and Secret Service and other federal agencies have studied uh, many of these incidents is that in many cases there were warning signs missed, uh, there, was, there were behaviors missed, and the key is how can you connect those disturbing behaviors with the moment when those people somehow get access to weapons, Kira? I made it easy for you. Because <laughs> I used a bell. <laughs> Behaviors. That's a big signal about what's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Imagine chat GPT. Imagine track GPT. Yeah. Because that that is what is coming. They're going to use AI and interconnected databases to track everyone's every move. And it's all going to be profiled. And people are going to be sitting at screens just waiting for notifications. Yep. Oh, there goes one that might go shoot somebody. Take away their rights. Uh, absolute, complete, and total surveillance. So much like the way that they are letting criminals out in 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 blue cities so that they can increase surveillance. That way, we talked about that story on the last episode um, in Chicago, where it was a carjacker who fled on the freeway into Will County. Will County has... Uh, cameras set up so that they can uh, that are that are AI assisted so that they immediately pick up a stolen license plate and can everybody all of law enforcement immediately gets a notification and can track it on their computers as it's happening. Uh, this is this is the same sort of thing. Uh, they're going to use this to uh, set up surveillance on everybody's behaviors, which means everything. You're going to be surveilled on everything. Well, which they already have. It's just how they're going to use it. The surveillance is already there. Right. They're going to use this to bring it out of the closet. Yeah. And the people are going to demand it. Yeah. What do you tweet? What do you talk about? Who do you text with? Where have you been? Who have you been associated yeah. with? Where did you go last week? What drugs are you on? Yeah. What pharmaceuticals? How much do you drink? How much sleep do you get? What did you study? What did you read? Where on the page did you scroll? Do you exercise? All of it. Everything. 
And you're right, it's already being tracked. So here, let's go to let's go to CBS's Gail King. And the first thing I want you to notice is this is the music they chose. Welcome back to CBS Mornings. America's latest mass shooting, as you know, took place inside a school full of young children. Three nine-year-old students. Just sit with that for just a second. Nine-year-old students and three adults were killed. And you notice how they had, they had to cut out of that music because she's talking about dead children. Yeah. That it's not was exactly a... the best music to have under dead children. Oh, get your coffee. Welcome back to CBS Mornings. America's latest mass shooting, as you know, took place inside a school full of young children. Three nine-year-old yeah, students. Cut the music. You gotta cut the music. You gotta get out of the music. Students and three adults were killed at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. We're joined now by Nashville's police chief. His name is John Drake. Uh, good to see you, Chief Drake. I'm so sorry it's under these circumstances. My heart is so heavy. I'm so sad, so angry, and mad. I cannot imagine how you were feeling this morning. By the way, did that sound like Dr. Seuss? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're joined now by Nashville's police chief. His name is John Drake. Uh, good to see you, Chief Drake. I'm so sorry it's under these circumstances. My heart is so heavy. I'm so sad, so angry and mad. I cannot imagine how you were feeling this morning. I, I've seen interviews with you where you say that you think the motive here was resentment. What do you mean by resentment? What does that mean? Resentment about what? So the, so the investigation is still ongoing into uh, this whole incident. Uh, but what uh, detectives have said so far is there, there's possibly some resentment for having to go to that school. Uh, the head of the school uh, was assassinated uh, in the hallway. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we feel it was targeted and planned. Mm-hmm. You think she was targeting nine-year-old children? Well, uh, that's what a school shooting is. <laughs> what is she talking about? Yeah, obviously. That's what school shootings are. And she's acting like incredulous. She really? She attacked a child. And notice that she's calling her a she because they are stripping her of her trans rights while also, on the other hand, defending her as a trans. Sorry, as gender dysphoric. It's it's so unfortunate as this investigation uh, continues to go. um, The kids were obviously targeted. Praise goes out to the men and women who, the two officers actually, who went into the school because we could have had far more casualties than what we had. And I thought that was a very clever move by the police chief. Let's not let's not get into why she might have killed these people. Transition immediately uh, away from that into something like, oh yeah, yeah, the, and the police did a great job. Yeah, right. It was just a very smooth transition out. It was. Uh, saved them narratively what can you tell us about the shooter have you talked to the shooter's family what can you tell us about this person so we know the shooter to be audrey hale uh 28 years old she actually attended that school um and uh has some history there um we've talked to the the father and the mother what did they say so they it's really hard for them uh emotionally right now our detectives have talked uh to them and we're just combing through, trying to find out uh, what was going on. It was just really emotional because they lost a child uh, during all of this as well. And so it's uh, very traumatic for them, too. Wow. Wow. So I thought that was very clever. They turned the whole segment into uh, the police bravery and courage under fire, followed by tell us about the shooter and the shooter's family. 
and the difficulty that they're going through. Um, and in that report, they forgot to mention that the shooter was trans. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, again, gender dysphoric. I say transvestite. I, lo- I loathe the word trans. I say transvestite. It's a cross-dresser. I, I, I'm, I'm done with anything trans. They're gender dysphoric. It's a mental illness. Uh, I think it's not. I think it's transvestite cross-dressing. That's, but that's one flavor. There are people that truly believe they are born in the wrong body. That is gender dysphoria. It's mental illness. Maybe. And, and that's uh, the, one, of the, one of the reasons we're in this mess is because we, we somehow have gotten to the point where it's hateful to acknowledge that it's a mental illness. And I think that's because the medical community has basically thrown up their hands and given up at ever having any kind of feasible treatment for these people. And so instead of, act, instead of admitting failure, they've just changed it to, oh, no, the great success is surgery and making all of this money off of them. Yeah, it's pretty sick. It's very sick. So uh, NBC News got around to the trans issue. Uh, here's, again, the police chief. <laughs> this police chief is everywhere. He loves the media. He loves getting out there and being on every show. He doesn't need to do this. He could give the media what they need through press conferences, give them all the same comment at the same time, but he is going on every single show. I, to me, I find it a, a little bit distasteful. I don't think he's uh, making as good of a showing in all of this as his men did going in and, and killing the shooter. You uh, recovered what you described as a manifesto. You've also said that Hale identified as trans. Do you believe there is a connection to that? Uh, We feel that she identifies as trans, but we're still in the initial investigation into all of that and if it actually played a role into this uh, incident. Uh, As we know more, we'll definitely make that known, uh, but right now we're unsure if that actually played a role. Yeah, I'm going to call that one just an outright lie. Okay. Yes, she's gender dysphoric, but we can't know if that's connected to her motive. Even though she left a manifesto, Jeremy. They have, they've read the manifesto. They know what she's done. The manifesto should be enough to tell them whether or not this was related to her gender dysphoria. They know. So this is a lie that they don't know. Maybe. I mean, nobody knows what it says in the manifesto. I think they're hanging that. They know. No, no, no. Well, the right. police chief knows exactly right. what it says in yeah, there. They, yeah. He doesn't know if he's allowed to say it yet. That's what he doesn't know. Right. He doesn't know what the official narrative is going to be, and he doesn't want to get out in front of it. But it might not say anything about being a transvestite. It might. That's exactly it might just, right. It might just say she hates Trump. <laughs> it, it, well, in that manifesto, it might eliminate the possibility that this had anything to do with her, with her being gender dysphoric. Uh, the, the fact that they won't release it uh, lends people to conclude that, that leads people to conclude that, it, that, that, it, that, that is, is exactly why. what's yeah, going on. Right. And I think that may be exactly what they want. Right. Yeah, because they're pushing that narrative. That these are the most oppressed people in the history of the world. And that's how you just said the magic word, oppressed. And that is how you have to understand how this story is unfolding and being presented everywhere. What you're seeing is the oppressor-oppressed dynamic play out. 
they 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 can't let go of the trans thing entirely because that gives the shooter her victim status. Right. But they also don't want to own it because they don't want to tie so blatantly trans to the to this murderous activity. So they're they're really having their cake and they're eating it too. I think they're fine tying the the trans uh well they wanted an argument that more than whether or not it's tied to it or right. not they want it to be an argument right. they want us at each other's throats this is it. the same thing of of not calling an islamic terrorist an islamic terrorist yes. and saying yes. that you know we don't know yet what the motive is when the motive is obvious you know or seemingly obvious to everybody or at least we know who they're they a tiny are. minority Right. But when it's a white person, it's the whiteness that did it. It's the whiteness that's to blame. There's no tiny minority. And that is how you have to understand that every story in our country, in our new Marxist America, is presented, is is dealt with. And it's not just the stories. Every event, the derailment in, in Ohio, every event. If you are in the perceived oppressor class, if you are white, if you are white male, if you're a white male Zionist, you're really, you're the the you're the head villain. If you're in the oppressor class, they don't care about you. And every narrative that comes out of a story where the oppressor class is the victim, the narrative will be used to reinforce what they want, which is why they're spending time, so much time, you know, tell me about the the shooter and the shooter's family and how difficult it is for them. Now, by the way, I think that we need to have compassion for that family. In a way, they're victims too. And I know I have to be very careful about how I put that. But even if they were willing participants in this gender dysphoria nonsense, the fact is, is that they're victims of what is our sick, dying culture. And maybe they got caught up in it. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they're just straight victims. They have been trying to get their child help ever since the system scrambled their brain. but I, So I think that this, the family needs compassion, but what I think the media is doing when they're focusing on that is they're trying to get the right upset. They want you to say, oh, how dare they focus on the shooter? And there's some, there's some credibility to that, uh, to that reaction, but that's the reaction they want. And I think that what would be healthier is... For everybody to take a step back, don't get caught up in the, was this person trans? Were they not? Did it, was it the trans that did it? Was it the trans that didn't do it? Is this, don't get caught up in any of that. That's what they want. They want you, they want us at each other's throats. So that's what, that's, that's what I think is, is, is going on there. Um, and now that they have the, now that they've injected the whole gender dysphoria issue, and they're batting it around and, and weaponizing it. You have this is this is the best example I found out there of the left's reaction to this and how they're weaponizing it. This is Brianna Gray and Robbie Sove at the Hill. Uh, Brianna is clearly on the left, and Robbie is clearly well. He's on the. I don't know if I. He's libertarian. It seems he's liber, you know conservative libertarian somewhere in there. Listen to this. She's spinning like a top. 
I think she's going to actually ignite herself on fire from spending so hard. Conservatives are coming out in full force against gender-affirming care in the wake of yesterday's school shooting in Nashville. This comes after news reports are confirming that the suspect was a transgender man. Now, of course, it is true that I think even by the most expansive counts, four non-binary or trans people have ever uh, been linked to one of these mass shootings. Four in the midst of the thousands of mass shootings that happened over the course of the last couple of years is a drop in the bucket. So she's moved on from denying that this person, that, 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 gender had anything to do with this person and and she's now at uh it's not uh, significant that it's just rare it's insignificant which is stage two that's that's always step two of the narrative that being said the new york post's cover today uh, is transgender killer targets christian school manifesto leads to six dead including three young kids People have made the argument that they are not saying that the person did it or that the gun did it, but that the manifesto and linking it to the fact of this person being trans is the cause of it. And okay, so, you know, by the way, uh, the the non left's response to all of these things is that the is not that the gun did it. We always, we always say the gun is not what did it. The person is what did it. She combined the two. She's saying that the right is saying that it isn't the person and it isn't the gun. Uh, that that it's it's just the trans. Uh, she's absolutely nonsense. First of all, the fact that the person is trans has everything to do with the person. So this is she's just she's literally spinning out of control. Um, Turning Point USA's Benny Johnson uh, tweeted: "Trans ideology frames our movement as saving kids from genocide. In reality, it is they who are committing genocide against children. Listen to their rhetoric. If you don't affirm their existence, you deserve to die." Of course, again, this is a very anomalous uh, um, case. Would we say that of you know white straight men who are more typically um, the perpetrators? Well, I, wait, yes, you just did it. <laughs> you just called them more typically the perpetrators, literally in the same breath that you're asking if it would be done. She just did yeah. it. I mean, I, I, I would argue against many, that. Many, okay, well, sure, but many in the liberal media would. I, I have, I have seen so many articles about banning white straight men. No, about the whiteness and not so much the straightness, but the white, the whiteness. We need to talk about whiteness. All that's. That's often a response to mass shooter situations, Is even though anal- white yeah. people are not like disproportionately likely to commit. Is it analogous shootings. to saying that we should ban the existence of white men or not allow them to? I, I, I've certainly read articles about decentering whiteness or eliminating whiteness. Are there? I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. In are response there, to are mass there, shootings. Are there legislative efforts to end white straight men? Are there? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Are there legislative efforts to end gender dysphoric people? Because no, they're not. You idiot. <laughs> nice straw man argument, Brianna. Nobody is arguing for the, rem- for the ending of people who are gender dysphoric. We're ar- demanding that you stay away from the children with this garbage. We're demanding that surgery and chemical hormones are not given to children. I don't care what you do as an adult. I think you're mentally ill, but I don't care what you do. Go ahead, do it. Chop your dong off. Take off the ding dong. I don't care. I don't care. But I do care about the children, as you claim to. By the way, this from the people who abort every child they can get their hands on. They're going to wrap themselves around the children. Yeah.
So, I mean, I, I give Robbie Silva a little bit of credit uh, for, stand, for for giving a little bit of a defense, but I mean, really, what you're what you're looking at there is the is the you know the the narrative dynamic playing out where you have the two sides. You've got her side and you've got his side. You've got the left side. You've got the right side, and they're going at it, and nothing, absolutely nothing, is solved. And, and here's what needs to be solved, ladies and gentlemen. These radical gender dysphoric lunatics. And by the way, not everyone who's gender dysphoric is a lunatic. Before they legalized gay marriage, Excuse nobody me. said a word. Everybody about that trans. is gender dysphoric is a lunatic. Uh, okay, I, I I would say they have mental illness. I don't know that that makes you a lunatic. Okay, I think I think you're a lunatic when you start to get violent. Uh, but that's just my 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 personal opinion. Uh, nobody, the gender community was not under any attack, under any assault or any criticism until the moment that gay marriage was legalized in the Supreme Court, and the left suddenly turned and weaponized the trans community, and everything became about trans. It was almost instant, and it was almost overnight. So the trans community as it existed prior to the legalization of gay marriage, they were pretty much living their lives. They, they were largely copacetic until the whole thing was weaponized by the left. And what you need to know is that the violent gender dysphoric largely are Antifa. They are mostly Antifa. And the, the, the crossover between the gender dysphoric and Antifa is dramatic. So really what you have here is the left, through Antifa, taking advantage of young, vulnerable people, getting them to depart from norms, radicalizing them, feeding them a diet that you are under attack, that they want you dead. And then what do these unstable people who have been radicalized do? Expect a lot more shootings, people. A lot more. It's part of the program. Yeah. This is the last clip. I'll, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to comment. I mean, that's then all week we've been hearing now about their day of vengeance that they're that they're planning. And that's what the whole media narratives have, have been setting up. And that's what Brianna Gray was framing. And that's why this has emerged this way from the early reports that that this was a transvestite is that people are outraged it's outrageous and now boom they're the victim they're the ones that need defending from everybody and then everybody else in the so-called community i don't think it's an actual community i think it's just people that uh identify themselves this way because i don't think they actually have like a community of people that get together and do things that people in communities do um now they're coming out more enraged and calling for their day of vengeance which was supposed to be today but then it was canceled because of the because of threats against their safety <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. They're the victims. I'm I'm reading now that they're it's their threats of threats against their safety. So they're the victims. They're the ones that are oppressed. Do you know who's really, really fed up with this? Gay people. 
lesbians and homosexuals. I don't know if you followed on on Twitter. I know you didn't actually because you don't go online. <laughs> the, on, <laughs> excuse me. Pardon me. On Twitter, there the hashtag was trending LGB without the TQ. And when you scroll through the lesbian, gay, bi community is furious. They've had it. And and I've known about this for a long time. Uh, years ago, I was working on a project that never came to fruition uh, with Lucian Wintrich when he was working at Gateway Pundit. And uh, we were using a shooter uh, who was from New York, a young woman, a very talented shooter. Uh, she was definitely a liberal. And by the way, uh, I work with a lot of liberals. I find that uh, not many liberals will work with conservatives, but you know, uh, I've, I don't care as long as you're talented. I don't care what you what you believe as long as you are talented and show up and do the job. Uh, so I have I, I have a lot of experience working with people who've got diverse opinions, uh, diverse from my own. And she was telling me uh, how frustrated she was with the trans community that there was a a major pushback brewing. This was three years ago, four years ago, um, uh, that there was a major pushback brewing in the lesbian community. They felt completely pushed out. She was talking about, it wasn't so much trans. She was talking about queer, that queer was the politicization of, of the entire movement. That if you were not politically active, you were turf, uh, uh, trans regressive, uh, exclusionary feminist, trans radical exclusionary feminist. Uh, you are, you're not in the program. You're no longer gay, according to queers, if you are not politically on the front line fighting for social justice. Right. And there are a lot of people, that, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're in the, on board for the left social justice uh, crusade. And so this, this has been coming for a long time, and I just am fascinated to watch it spilling out into the major into the main public with this uh hashtag lgb without the tq uh i don't have any uh any clips to play from it but just go go to twitter look that up lgb without the tq uh, and you will see what is going on people are beginning to attempt to reject this uh frankly it's about time took you long enough well Uh, i think that's right uh to a couple of points which is that it's it all stems from Marxist theory. It all stems from critical theory, and it is all based in advancing the ideas and efforts of Marxism and transforming society and attacking God's creation and attacking people who were made in his image. And what happens is the same thing happened to black people. Because you're also no longer black if you're not towing yes. the Marxist line. That's right. And I think what's interesting, and that's probably a good uh, point for me to bring in the clip that I have about this, which is not current media coverage, um, but it's an interview. F- wait, wait, before you hold on, before you do, let me play one last thing from Brianna. Okay. Uh, just to wrap her out. Bree seems to know a lot about the manifesto. Because you and I are sitting here saying we don't know what's in the manifesto. Listen to Bree. This incident, this tragedy is being used to advance, to provide fodder for a legal movement that's already underway to pass any number of bills that prevent people from 
um, uh, getting gender affirming care. And the irony is that apparently, and this manifesto is apparently set to be released, the this killer here has pointed to those exact kind of restrictions on their ability to identify how they wanted to. So Brie, what in the world were you talking about? <laughs> Brie has inside info that the manifesto directly connects the shooter's intent to the laws that were being passed for uh, trans issues in Tennessee. Well, how do you know that? How do I know what? <laughs> how do you know <laughs> that? I, I know because Brie told me. Yeah, how do you know that? You don't know that. This is, how do you know how many people have been, there's only been a few trans people that have done this. That's exactly right. <laughs> the numbers are very small. And by the way, stop passing these laws because that's what's making these people crazy. That's her argument is that, the, that, that, that we shouldn't pay attention to the fact that she was trans because that's such a minuscule amount and that's just warping the issue. But stop passing these trans laws because that's what inspired her to do this. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. They're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And that's why they came out with this, I think, this vengeance theme, right? Because isn't that a weird theme? Like a, a trans day of vengeance? Like, it's not like we want to be part of society. We want to be we don't want to be discriminated against. It's there's people on Twitter right now, like licking knives, talking about stabbing people, brandishing right, they have convinced them they're in the oppressed. Right. Class. Brandishing firearms as and as if they're coming to kill you unless unless you accept, embrace, encourage, and support their twisted way of life. And, and so it, they now are where the, the left has moved its line to be the oppressed people. But so I, I'll get into the, the clip I have because what's, I think was interesting as I, I had found on Twitter uh, this week as Steve Coughlin was talking about this, that it's important to understand this in the, from the perspective of where we are in the phase of revolution and how these people fit in. And uh, there's an interview from, uh, Yuri Bezmenov, he was a Soviet KGB propagandist and uh, defector back in 1983. And he was interviewed by G. Edward Griffin, who I mentioned previously on the show. He's somebody I know who's a brilliant man. And I'll recommend again that everybody read his book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. But uh, Edward Griffin had interviewed Yuri Bezmenov. It's a fascinating fascinating must watch hour plus long interview and i think a lot of people have seen at least bits and clips of it to this point um but this part of the interview directly relates um and he's he's talking about how to how there's a destabilization phase and I think it seems like that's the phase we're coming out of or will be coming out of soon. So just take a listen to this and tell me what you think. 
Most of these people were divided roughly in two groups. Those who would tow the Soviet foreign policy, they would be promoted to the positions of power through media and public opinion manipulation. Those who refused the Soviet influence in their own country would be character assassinated or executed physically come revolution. That's us. <laughs> we're the ones that don't tow the line. Same way as in the small town of Hue in South Vietnam, several thousands of Vietnamese were executed in one night when the city was captured by Viet Cong for only two days. And American CIA could never figure out how could possibly communists know each individual where he lives, where, where to get him, and would be arrested in one night, basically in, in some four hours before dawn, put on a van, taken out of the city limits, and shot. The answer is very simple. Long before communists occupied the city, there was extensive network of informers, local Vietnamese citizens, who knew absolutely everything about people who are instrumental in public opinion, including barbers and taxi drivers. Everyone who was sympathetic to the United States was executed. Same thing was done under the guidance of, of the Soviet embassy in Hanoi, and same thing I was doing in New Delhi. To my horror, I discovered that in the files where people were doomed to execution, there were names of, of pro-Soviet journalists with whom I was personally friendly. Pro-Soviet. Did yeah. you hear that? Pro-Soviet. Yes. Pro-Soviet. Now, he was an agent still, and these were people... These were people that he knew that were pro-Soviet, and he was friends with them. Yes. They were idealistically minded leftists who uh, made several visits to USSR. And yet, the KGB decided that come revolution or drastic changes in political structure of India, they will have to go. Why is that? Because they know too much. Simply because, you see, the useful idiots, the, the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of Soviet socialist or communist or whatever system, when they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. So when they become disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. Now, he's talking about Vietnam. And he's well, they're the worst India. enemies after all of us are dead. <laughs> and uh, They're the worst enemies left. Well, actually... So he goes on to a little bit more here. Don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be no, the ones they, they rely they on? They serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They uh, will be hey, Jeremy, they, they outsmarted them. The left outsmarted the Soviets yeah. by ditching any defense of civil liberties. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all part of it. Uh, but I thought that that was really interesting because I've found myself in times wondering, like, why are they going so all in on this twisted ideology of, you know, turning boys into girls and girls into boys? I mean, there's, it's hard. Transistors. It's hard to find anybody. It's, I mean, you do, you, you find some people here and there, but it really is hard to find people that thinks this is a good thing that think this is a good thing. I mean, most most people, the vast 
majority of people do not support this, at least with kids. And by the way, I think the vast majority of young people who are claiming to be trans are not. They're not body. They're not uh, dysmorphic. They are attempting to find any oppressed class to belong to so that this Marxist system doesn't crush them. Right. And they're running and hiding from the, from the label of being the oppressor. Yeah. And that's a good one that you can fit into if you're a white man. Right. Cause you can't go yep. around and say you're a black man unless you're Rachel Yet. Dolezal. You can't go <laughs> around and say you're a black woman when you're white. So if well, you, as soon as they want to dispose of black men, they'll allow white men to claim they're black men. The same way now that they're ready to dispose of liberal women, uh, they're they're letting men claim to be women. Um, but I guess maybe you could take some comfort in knowing, as far as Yuri Benzimov explains, these aren't the ones that are going to take over society. <laughs> no, we're just going to wish they were. But they are... <laughs> This is literally the useful idiot, and uh, but I had found myself wondering why do they go so so hard in on this ideology? Why do they push it so hard? And that's it. It's that they're used for a specific purpose. This is all by design to destabilize, and it's the destabilization that we're seeing right now. And when we get through that. And we enter, we've gone through, and I'm not going to play it all today, but he explains in the interview the first phase, the demoralization phase, which takes 15 to 20 years of programming kids with Marxist indoctrination in the school systems. Now they're all the ones who are actually controlling everything, and they know how to function and fulfill their role. Then you go through a destabilization phase, which is five to seven years. He describes this in, in those times. And then you enter a period of crisis. And the period of crisis, he says, is only six weeks for a country. And once you go through that period of crisis, when you come out on the other end, it you're coming out in the renormalization phase where the Marxists in power, they stomp down, they crush well, these right, people. But this is not just one crisis. I would say COVID was one of those crises. And I think that this, the, the next one they're setting up I don't think we're in the crises phase. No, yet. we're not. I don't. It's what you called. It's it's getting Trump elected is is when we're going to enter the the next crisis. Phase. Right, and then we go back to the Glenn Beck clip where he's describing the the events of the day, the events of the week, the 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 which we also have talked about the banking, the dollar, the de-dollarization, the things that are going to actually put our economy into a tailspin, into the real crisis, the collapse, the Saudi, Brazil, China, you know, conglomerate now that's going to be trading oil in their own currency, the wars Bricks. that we're going to have, the new gun grabs that are going to happen, and to inflame people into violence and that's when they can come and crush you um let me let me real quick let me let me play out the rest of these clips uh just to just to so that we can move on um let's take a look at how the how the other side is carrying we've been showing all liberal media here's newsmax and they they give much more balanced coverage. This is much more like what you would expect, except 
They never deconstruct the narrative that's going on. They take part in the two sides narrative. What do we call that? What's the name for that? Where the there's binary. Two, you got the binary. Yeah. yeah, they're they're reinforcing the binary while observing the other side's assault of it. Well, some members of the media have been quick to tie this week's shooting in Nashville to recent laws passed in Tennessee. The laws include restrictions on drag shows when kids are around and a ban on gender transition drugs and surgeries for minors. Audrey Hill was a, identified herself as a transgender person. Uh, it, state of Tennessee earlier this month passed and the governor signed a bill that banned transgender medical care for minors. In the state of Tennessee, which, you know, ironically is the Scopes monkey trial state, right, where they used to have a law against teaching evolution in public high schools. Pretty sure that was when Democrats were in control. In public schools. They now are racing to enact these First Amendment limiting laws to limit things like drag shows. You have drag shows with children, you liar. Rampant book. Well, the Tennessee chapter of the ACLU says these laws, quote, criminalize being trans. But when you ask parents... They say they just want to protect their kids from today's hypersexualized culture and the stated financial incentives for hospitals that come with these so-called gender-affirming care treatments. These people who are always telling us that they're looking out for the most vulnerable among us sound like they are blaming the victims. Trans people are already more likely to experience violence simply because they are trans people. So the right focusing on that is uniquely dangerous. And we have to respond to that. Maybe it's not mental health or video games or homo hormones. Maybe it's the guns. So if you even want to talk about a possible connection between mental health, violence, and gender, you're, you're the one perpetuating the violence, not the shooter. And I would argue you shouldn't be arguing about that because it is a waste of time and gets away from the point, which is that this is actually a Marxist revolution taking place. And so arguing the trans issue is, it's point. That's what they want. They want us at each other's throats. They want the trans community to feel as though they are under attack. This is how they radicalize their Antifa trans. And by the way, just go to YouTube and search for Antifa trans. And if you're really sporting, add New York City to it. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Antifa and trans, radical trans, are connected. Violent trans is Antifa. And that's why at all these uh, uh, drag show story hours with children, you have Antifa there guarding it because this is their production. They want us at each other's throats. They want us attacking the so-called trans community. And they want the trans community to feel as though, that, as, as though we want them dead so that it can radicalize them into the violent army uh, that they need. Um, so here is, oh, and at the end of that one, by the way, I just point out, uh, th this is to get into the juxtaposition here. You remember the uh, Charleston uh, Emanuel AME Church, uh, Dylan Roof, white guy walked in, murdered a bunch of black people in a racist terrorist attack? Yeah. Okay. So... I think this is a very similar story because you have somebody who was informed by their politics, who went into a religious institution and murdered people uh, just based on ideology and because they were Christians. So 
I see a lot of similarities there. Oddly, when it was Dylan Roof, the drugs in his system were uh, were all of interest. Well, from police reports, we've learned Roth was banned from a South Carolina mall twice, first after displaying bizarre behavior and possession of narcotics. That's CNN. He was... Banned for a year, when he returned to that mall in April, he was arrested for trespassing. Now, the narcotic found on him is used to treat addictions like heroin. Uh, right now, we know that investigators there are taking a hard look at potential ties to domestic terrorist organizations, uh, white supremacist groups, and other extremists to determine if that at all had anything to do with his motive. So, when it's the oppressor class who has committed the crime... Well, then you get to then you get to ask logical questions like, well, gee, what what chemicals were in his system? <laughs> you know, that's a logical question. It's a logical question to ask what chemicals were in this woman's system in Nashville. It's logical. It may have played a role, not to excuse it, but to you know, maybe we shouldn't be pumping uh, unstable people with a bunch of hormones. Maybe we should be doing the opposite. There does seem to not be not pumping unstable people with hormones. There does seem to be an immense amount of anger and rage within the people getting these hormones. Uh, t- toxic masculinity, except if you're a woman ha- being shot up with giant doses of testosterone. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, this morning, I spoke with and Vice President Biden spoke with Mayor Joe Riley. Biden's standing right next to him. The both of them are solemn. And just to illustrate the juxtaposition, and this is Obama reacting to the Dylan Roof shooting, Obama and, and, and Biden have come into the press room. This is they're only there for this comment. And Biden could have done that. Biden could have very easily said, hey, before we go to this small business event, we're going to meet in the, in, the, in the press room and we're going to have a comment about this. And then we're going to give you 15 minutes to go set your cameras back up again in the, in the event room and we'll, have, we'll hold the event. Yeah, but they, 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 they didn't have ice cream in that room. Right. Or children to turn into props. It would have, it would have been much more obvious if they brought the children into the press room. So uh, big differences in tone and other leaders at Charleston to express our deep sorrow over the senseless murders that took place last night. And they weren't senseless. It was a white racist who went and killed a bunch of black people. It wasn't senseless. It was crazy, but the guy did something very intentional. Senseless would be you're driving down the street and you aim the gun out the window and just start firing. Michelle and I know several members of Emmanuel AME Church. We knew their pastor, Reverend Clementa Pickney. By the way, he says we knew their pastor, and then he has to look down to read the name. (laughs) Just a little disingenuous there. Who, along with eight others, gathered in prayer and fellowship and was murdered last night. There is something particularly heartbreaking about a death happening in a place in which we seek solace and we seek peace. No mention of that from Biden. In a place of worship. The fact that uh, this took place uh, in a black church uh, obviously also raises questions about a dark part of our history. But don't you ask any questions about the dark part of our present. (laughs) When a trans person, someone gender dysphoric, someone mentally ill, walks into a white religious facility 
and murders three children and three adults. Three nine-year-olds. I think one of them was an eight-year-old. You're not, you better watch what you say, buddy. That's their message to us. When it's an oppressor class who attacks somebody in the oppressed class, well, then, then of course, it's obvious. It makes sense that there was, that this was an attack on them. Uh, this is not the first time that black churches have been attacked. And we know that hatred across races and faiths pose a particular threat to our democracy and our ideals. Yeah. Well, we live in a republic, but I'll leave that alone. He, he, by the way, he was right. There was, it was absolutely relevant. You had a white nationalist walked in and murdered a bunch of black people in a black church. The context was completely relevant. It's only now that it's not relevant. And the reason for that, again, I'm just going to say it one last time. Everything that happens in our country now, now that we live in the United States of America, Marxist America, Everything that happens needs to be put through the filter of oppressor oppressed. You will no longer need to be surprised by the outcome of any situation anymore because you are going to look at it through that lens and you will know if the victim is perceived as the oppressor class, get ready to be completely demoralized and attacked because that's how this works. And so don't get caught up in it. Don't, they want you to attack the trans community. Don't. It's feeding what they want. Now, I don't have the answer as to exactly how you deal with it, but I can tell you how you don't deal with it. Don't give them what they want. Don't feed their narrative. I recommend prayer. These are people that are lost. These are people that are being used. All right, reach out to them. I agree. I think that's. I think that that is peace is what needs to be extended, Sometimes, not aggression. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know how many times you and I have been in the street facing these people with cameras, and it becomes appalling to a point where you just are sickened by their hatred that's in them. But you you have to take a step back for a minute and remember um, that they are people and they are all all people are created in God's image that is for real and um and I think I I would pray for these people that are lost pray for their souls and pray for our country cuz you you can't I think Andrew's right you cannot uh you cannot feed into it you don't want to escalate it no imagine what would happen to the narrative if the right reached out right now and said, we have love and compassion for this community. You're being used. You're being destroyed by what they're doing. We love you. And I think people do that. that. Would, I think people do that to no, an extent. I know, but, but that's, not what, that's not what's happening in the media. In the media. It gets twisted in yeah. the media that it's everybody's hateful for well, not but the, accepting And then people, people consume that are. and they get caught up in right. it. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I have on that. I think that... Um, Hopefully, uh, we've paid it the, the due respect it deserves. Once again, uh, regret that we didn't the first time around. I am, uh, it, 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 it is an exciting story, <laughs> to put it poorly, uh, because it stands as an incredible example to educate everyone as to what the narrative 
war is that's happening, your place in it, and how to begin to perceive it and deal with it. So you're not just caught up in the narratives that you're being fed to be caught up in. Yeah, I mean, I think exciting the way you mean it is that it's important and it's big and it is something you need to understand. Uh, and I think from the perspective that Yuri Benzimov puts forth, you know, you need to understand where this, where we are right now. And that is, is helpful in dealing with it and encountering it as we move forward. Cause it's likely to escalate and get a lot scarier and probably at a much faster pace than we've been accustomed to. Well, and speaking of moving forward, like how I did that. I mean, I feel kind of gross asking for money right on the back of that, but since we're not actually asking for money, (laughs) we're asking for value. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the part in the broadcast where we explain how we do business here at the Truth Bait Podcast. You might have noticed we don't have any advertisements, and that's not because we can't get any advertisements. We've had companies like Pfizer throwing themselves at us. They want to sponsor this program. Uh, Pfizer, Goldman Sachs, are they still? No, they're not still around. Other companies like that, (laughs) BlackRock, they want to advertise on the Truth Bait Podcast. We won't have it because you cannot, there are two things you cannot do together uh, in this world. You cannot take corporate advertising cash and be honest and say things like the COVID vaccine kills people. You can't say COVID was invented by America and manufactured in a Chinese lab. You can't say the election was stolen. You say those things, you get blackballed. You, uh, you lose all of your advertising. And not only that, you don't even have to say those things. You just have to reveal yourself to not be uh, on the uh, radical left. And the left then organizers, organizes to with Sleeping Giants and other organizations to strip you of your advertisers. So the only way this works to to short-circuit their attempts to silence us, to silence you, the producers of this podcast, is to only have citizen sponsors. It's called the value-for-value model, and the way that this works is if you feel as though we've been delivering value in this podcast, we ask you to return value to the podcast, and there are many ways to do that. We're not even accepting financial value yet, although that's that's going to be uh, important at some point. You should be saving Um, up for it. People That's right. Uh, I have a sound effect for it. Yeah, eventually. But right now, the value that we really are asking for is sharing the show, sharing the show, sharing the show. That gives tremendous value. Uh, also, sending us segment ideas. Sending, you know, you are the producers of this show. You're in early, especially. You're in the ground floor. This is only episode twelve, so you have the ability to really shape this program. We have a segment, I, frankly, we're running so late, I don't know if we're going to get to it today. We may we may have to push it to tomorrow, uh, or to the, I'm sorry, to the next uh, podcast. Uh, a story from uh, Big D and AZ about 
the uh, election interference in China that has been uncovered uh, in Canada. And that's an important story. We may get to it today. We might have to push it. Sorry, Big D. Uh, we're already at like two, almost two and a half hours. So, uh, and we have Kamala in Africa coming up next. Um, so well, if Big D uh, sends in $1,000, we'll put it up to the front of the episode. <laughs> well, we could do a special episode that is just a segment of that. Big D, you don't need to send $1,000 yet. We are, I have, I have the content. I'm ready for it today if we get to it. So, uh but that's the value we're talking about. Write us at truth at truthbait.com. That's truth at truthbait.com. I'm told you always have to say these things in three. Truth at truthbait.com. And let us know what you want to hear. Let us know how we're doing. Questions. Uh, ask questions are good. Good conversation starters and get people thinking about different things. Um, if there's something that uh, we might have insight into that we haven't talked about, bring it to our attention. And I have producer feedback from Bev in Florida. Oh, Bev. Mama Bear. Yep, from our last episode. Uh, excellent show, guys. Loved your line to Jeremy after playing con artist uh, Biden. Come on, man. Uh, his comment on China. And she loves Don't You Feel Baited. Um, thank you. That's great. I'm uh, glad, glad that you like that. She says, your take on Jane Fonda's view on The View with her murder comment is spot on. Her ideology, ideology has deep roots. Um, she also takes us to task. Oh, wait, one more compliment. I really like the setup of your show and the background music. Uh, thank you. Uh, definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I'm liking the way we set up the show now, too. Uh, although today you blew it. Um, <laughs> I hope you I hope you play the full thing. I hope you play the mistake and the redo. <laughs> I think it's good. Uh, uh, she writes to correct us. By the way, Eric Prince is a patriot. Full stop. Betsy is the least liked education secretary of the NEA, and that tells you a lot. She rolled back most of Obama's policies. So she she wrote in to correct us. We had made a comment that, you know, criticizing Trump's association with the DeVosses uh, and Eric Prince. And she's saying, no, you guys have that wrong. Uh, Eric Prince is, is, a, is a patriot, uh, and she's defending Betsy. So... Um, Boy, I got to tell you, I trust Mama Bear implicitly, ex- explicitly. So, well, I don't know. I take her correction with a lot of weight. I, what, what is your thought? I, I'd have to hear more about why, because I, my understanding is that she's a big pusher of the charter school movement. And it's not that I'm opposed to charter schools, but what I have seen in my own experience with kids in my family in charter schools that these are some of the most radical marxist training facilities in this country and it's not that i'm saying well, they are they've been unionized now they are no they were before they were unionized and they were pushing hardcore marxist indoctrination into those kids even more Ooh, are you so. saying that the charter school system was a head fake absolutely and wow. it was get everybody get oh, all. The I did un- a lot of work to support it that. Was get I'm, all I'm the. I'm going to un- feel very dirty right it now. Was get all the un- Get all the unions to protest charter schools, and we took the bait and the Tea Party and everybody on the right to support charter schools and push for charter schools which have less oversight. And I'm not defending <sighs> public schools. I'm not saying that public schools are better. What I'm saying is that these. It's it's. 
you need to educate your own kids in your own house if you want to have any protection and control over their education. As far as Betsy DeVos goes, Bev, you are a smart woman. I know you know what you're talking about, but I got to see evidence of why she's a patriot. Well, I think we'll have to let's let's dig a little bit more into it later on. And Bev, yes, as as Jeremy said, please send us more information uh, because we don't want to be incorrect. We don't know everything, and actually, I love being corrected by our active yeah, listeners. And I think this is part um, of the point of the show. I mean, like we don't know right. everything. That's right. And it, I think it can. You've said it a bunch of times. This is really your show to the listeners like we want it to be for people to participate in so i gladly uh accept uh bev's point of view or perspective but i then i want to i do want to hear a little bit more about why because just rolling back obama's policies i don't know if she rolled them back into something better or worse like the, we've had such bad policies, period. And I also know that President Trump, most of his administration were corrupt Marxists. Well, you and Bev should maybe take it offline <laughs> and have the debate and then come back and present no, the debate. No, we need it online. We need it on the show. So write in more. And anybody else that wants to chime in or do a little yes. homework – on Betsy DeVos and Eric Prince, I think it'd make a great, uh, great topic for us to talk about. Yep. Another great topic is the update of Kamala in Africa. This is the Cold War Three update because Kamala is in Africa to try and gather up countries to be on our side instead of being on China's side um, in the new Cold War, and it's not going very well. <laughs> uh, here is the first clip. I only have uh, I only have a few here. Uh, this is from Voice of America. Voice of America is, of course, funded by the United States government. So this is the pure propaganda that they are putting out to the world. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris arrived on the second stop of her Whirlwind Africa tour Thursday, meeting with Africa's only female head of state, Tanzania's President Samia Suluhu Hassan. She took office when the president died in 2021 and rolled back some of his unpopular policies, such as a ban on pregnant girls going to school and limits on freedoms of expression. The U.S. will provide $560 million in bilateral assistance to Tanzania next fiscal year. On Thursday, Harris said the U.S. will expand U.S.-Tanzania commercial engagement, work toward delivery of battery-grade nickel from Tanzania to the U.S. and the global market as soon as 2026, expand affordable broadband and cooperation in democratic development, biodiversity, women's empowerment, and health projects. Thanks to the progress of your administration, you have made a champion, you have been a champion in terms of democratic reforms in this country, and in that way have expanded our partnership. Today, Tanzania has made another historic milestone with two female leaders the vice president and the president meeting here at the state house in Dar es Salaam. Several students waited for hours at the airport and at the state house to see the highest ranking woman in America. Wait, wait, wait. She's what? She's the highest ranking woman in America? No, she's not. 
Several students waited for hours at the airport and at the State House to see the highest-ranking woman in America. Her office holds no power. None. Zero. She's a stand-in. She's a bencher. Well, Joe Biden called her the president. <laughs> but this is Voice of America. Well, it must be true. It's not like this is a random news outlet, and you could tell by this woman's voice. She works at the State Department. This is this is a spook wannabe. She's got no broadcast voice at all whatsoever, and they have her putting out news. They can't even hire broadcasters. I'm expecting a lot of changes in education, uh, in politics, also in finance, economic. We really need to, to be like America, at least to reach the like American, their economic. <laughs> she wants American economics for her country. I don't recommend it. So... There are a couple things that the Voice of America and Kamala left out of this report. And you remember you hear Kamala praising all the reforms in Tanzania. Well, I went to chat GPT to have a little conversation about Tanzania. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, so Tanzania... Tanzania, according to ChatGPT, has some of the strictest laws against homosexuality in all of Africa. And there have been reports of harassment and violence against LGBTQ plus individuals in the country. The government has been known to crack down on LGBTQ plus events and activities, and activists have faced persecution for their advocacy. While President Hassan has expressed a commitment to democracy and human rights, she has not yet made any significant changes to Tanzanian laws or policies related to LGBTQ plus Rights and they're leaving off the I and the two, so it's very shame on uh, Chat GPT, very hateful. Uh, it, rem- it remains to be seen whether her administration will take steps to address these issues. And I just I find it fascinating how they can discard, how the left can discard that issue when convenient, while they constantly hammer Americans over the head with it like a bludgeon in perpetuity. Uh, and 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 that's not all they're leaving out. I asked Chat GPT another little inconvenient question. Uh, is is Tanzania in debt? Yes, Tanzania. It says yes. Tanzania has some external debt, which refers to debt owned by foreign creditors such as international organizations, governments, and commercial banks. According to the World Bank, Tanzania's external debt stood at approximately sixteen point six billion U.S. dollars, which is more than one hundred percent of its GDP. The Tanzanian government has taken various measures to manage its debt, including implementing fiscal reforms, seeking debt relief. And exploring alternative financing mechanisms such as public-private partnerships. Then I ask, what is their relationship with China? Oh, Tanzania has maintained a close relationship with China over the years. China is one of Tanzania's largest trading partners and has been involved in various development projects in the country. In recent years, China has invested heavily in infrastructure projects in Tanzania, such as construction of roads, railways, ports. In 2013, China and Tanzania signed a framework agreement for cooperation and infrastructure development worth about $1.7 billion. 
China's also provided Tanzania with aid and technical assistance in various areas, such as health, education, and agriculture. In 2019, the Chinese government announced a grant of 20 million yuan, which is $2.9 million to Tanzania for supporting its economic and social development. Overall, Tanzania's relationship with China is characterized by mutual cooperation and investment in various areas of development. However, there have been some concerns raised about the potential implications of China's investments and loans for debt sustainability and impact on local industries and employment. And then I ask, well, what is their relationship with the U.S.? And ChatGPT responds, Tanzania and the United States have historically maintained a friendly and cooperative relationship. The two countries have cooperated on a range of issues, including health, education, economic, development, and security. The U.S. has provided significant aid to Tanzania over the years, including through the president's emergency plan for AIDS, which has helped combat HIV-AIDS epidemic in Tanzania. The U.S. has also supported Tanzania's education system, providing scholarships and other forms of assistance to help improve access to education for Tanzanian students. Uh, so, and then it says, however, there have been some concerns raised about the state of Tanzania's democracy and human rights record in recent years, and this has led to some tensions in the relationships between Tanzania and the U.S., uh, the U.S. government has expressed concern over issues such as restrictions on media freedom, restrictions on political opposition, and the treatment of LGBTQ plus individuals in Tanzania. So what has been happening is in recent years, the United States has been coming down on its allies for its LGBTQ plus IALMNOP uh, positions and moralizing to them while providing nothing of real value because we don't make anything, we don't build anything. Meanwhile, China says, hey, you know what? We're not going to come down on you, on you for moral things. we got plenty of our own problems. We don't judge. Let's make some money. Let's build your infrastructure. Well, who do you think these countries are going are to turn to? Us? We build nothing. I'm reading uh, just on Wikipedia, Tanzania's form of government is called unitary dominant party presidential republic <laughs> uh, oh, that's a mouthful they define unitary state as a sovereign state governed as a single entity in which the central government is the supreme authority the central government may create administrative divisions uh blah 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 the political uh then it's dominant party is the political uh, occurrence in which a single political party continuously dominates election results over running opposition groups or parties, any ruling party staying in power for more than one consecutive term may be considered a dominant party. I'm just wondering if the reason why those groups of oppressed people are being oppressed is because they've already gone through these revolutionary phases you see and then that's why now you have china to come in and be basically their big daddy supporting them because they have a well i think they're taking money from they're taking support for whom from whomever can build the infrastructure that used to be us we don't build infrastructure anymore all we can do is throw them money which by the way goes to china because they turn they take the money and build infrastructure with it not only that they're going to pay off their debt to china with our money and bring i think that's what we're buying i think we are buying these countries debt from china that's what's really happening here we're, we're attempting to buy these people's debt from China. And when we might, it's another bailout to China and it won't make any difference because it's not like we can swoop in and provide infrastructure. We can't. We don't build anything. 
They have to get it from China. So our money, our taxpayer money, is going to go to pay off these debts to China from these from these African countries, and whatever's left is going to go to China to build out more infrastructure. Now Kamala goes to Zambia. Democracy and good governance. Oh, sorry. Hang on a second. Uh, I didn't get it done. Sorry, hang on. You finding the clip? No, I've got it. My level is too low. Sorry, hang on. And we're going to have to boost this in post, but let's uh, just to move on. Democracy and good governance around the world is a priority for the United States, and we will always stand with those who are fighting for those principles. To that end, I am pleased to announce more than $16 million for new programs in Zambia. That's her first mistake. It's actually $60 million, but okay, that's fine. Numbers are hard. Including a focus on anti-corruption and other reform efforts. Ooh, the Biden administration is helping with anti-corruption efforts. Fantastic. That should, that should work out. We will remain a strong partner to build long-term economic growth and boost investment in Zambia. And we will continue to advocate for a speedy finalization of Zambia's debt treatment and the restructuring. The international community needs to help countries such as Zambia regain their footing. So I will- Yeah, countries such as America too. will reiterate a call that we have made now many times for all bilateral official creditors to provide a meaningful debt reduction for Zambia. As I've said throughout my trip, I believe that the innovation that is taking place across this continent will unlock incredible economic growth and opportunities for the entire world. I'm By the way, I'm not sure that that's a message that plays well in Africa. <laughs> a Western country is coming and saying, we see po- great potential for the entire world to enrich itself off of you. <laughs> I just That to me seems like a ham-fisted message for an African audience. Right will unlock incredible economic growth and opportunities for the entire world. I'm working during this trip to drive more private sector investment to Zambia and to the continent to accelerate the innovation and entrepreneurship that is already underway. So again, that's we're going to push dollars to you because that's all we have is dollars, which are becoming less valuable every second. Uh, and then those dollars will go out to the people that can actually do the work, which is the Chinese. To strengthen business ties, I am pleased to announce that the United States and Zambia will sign a commercial development MOU, a memorandum of understanding. A memorandum, a memorandum. How, how fantastic, a memorandum to save, to save Zambia. Which will help to develop and implement commercial projects and increase the flow of goods and services between our nations. The president and I also discussed extensively the issue of the climate crisis. And I thank you, Mr. President, for your leadership there as well. You have begun innovative public-private partnerships to focus on protecting forests. For protecting forests. This woman is a trainer. Private partnerships to focus on protecting forests and to protect and rewild landscapes, which will, of course, increase biodiversity and sequester carbon. Tomorrow, I will visit a farm outside of Lusaka 
to announce $7 billion in public-private sector investments for this continent. So all we can do is push the money, and that money is going to go straight to China. Why don't they give that money in reparations? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. We have money for everybody else. Reparations are going to happen in California, where there was no slavery. Don't let the rep. Uh, don't let the reparations movement get in your get get you all wound up because these Kamala Harris's and Joe Biden's they don't ever want to give reparations in this country. They're going to no. Give Newsom's it, never going to give reparations. Give That's it not happening. Everybody else and keep the people here begging. Absolutely. Well, so in here now they go to Q and A. I have a question for for each of you, uh, for Vice President Harris. Uh, what is the United States doing specifically to push China on restructuring the debt with Zambia? And- Remember, China won't take our phone call <laughs> from the previous episode. China's not answering the phone. They're not talking to us. So we're doing nothing. And what is the United States' responsibility here, given that some of the debt is held by companies like BlackRock in the United States? I'll reiterate my uh, the, the point I made earlier. We are continuing to reiterate our call for all bilateral official creditors to provide meaningful debt reduction. She's reiterating that she's reiterating. A little bit of word salad there. To Zambia. And that includes the calls that we were making in the context of the IMF, that that be done. Uh, but let me be clear. Our presence here is not about China. Lie. <laughs> it's about an and by the way, lying like that makes us look so weak. Uh, the, we're not even sh- you know, steady and sure enough in our own position that we would rub it in their noses that this is about them. Of course it's about them. She's a train wreck. Independent understanding of the intertwined histories of our nations and our mutual commitment to democratic principles and a recognition and understanding of what it means to engage in smart investments and the potential for the future of the entire globe. And for President Hichilema, uh, China's influence in Africa is very controversial in Washington. Do you consider China's role in the continent a constructive one? And what could the United States do to play a more constructive role here as well? And the way that you can know that Kamala's visit is absolutely about China is that, and you, you can't see this because we're not a video podcast, trust me when I tell you Kamala's head looks like it's about to explode off the top of her body uh, while she's listening to this answer from uh, the president of Zambia. Things must not be seen that way. I totally agree with the vice president that uh, we're here to foster the U.S.-Zambia relationship. But there's a context in the sense that that relationship um, exists in the operating environment where other countries also exist. So, but the contextualization that if the U.S. and Zambia share a lot in common, strong bilateral relationship, historical relationship, then they are doing things against China. He's actually wrong, completely wrong. So essentially, for now, we're expecting the U.S., as we have done in our conversations, to support us on resolving this debt overhand, for which, as a country, we're responsible. We didn't manage our affairs properly. We must accept that. Equally, we are asking, when we meet China, 
we are asking them to assist us resolve our debt burden. Yeah, China's known for assisting people in resolving their debt burden to China. Uh, not really. China uses the debt to take over sovereignty of these countries. So he's not going to get anything from China. It's all going to come from us. And free resources to where they should go. Apply the free resources where they should go. So, and then this is the last thing that I'll play on this. Uh, 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 Political correctness goes completely out the door. uh, There is this what would, I mean, frankly, I don't care about this, but again, it's just that the left dispenses with these things when it's convenient for them. Listen to this. Okay, let's have a lady for a change, (laughs) ma'am. He says, let's let's have a lady for a change. Uh, This is the person who's uh, emceeing the, the event, who's calling on the different reporters. Okay, let's have a lady for a change, ma'am. <laughs> you must be careful. We have a vice president who is a lady. My sincere apologies. I friend. say ladies half the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what she means by that. I say ladies half the time. She's just letting them off the hook, I guess. You call her a lady here in America, you will be reprimanded. She's not a lady. She's a woman. Or she's a owner of a cervix. She's a Madam Vice President, what mechanisms are in place for the Zambian goods to be exported into the U.S. market? Okay, keep track of that question. What did she ask? What can you do to increase imports of our goods into the U.S. market? That's the question. Here we go. So we have been, um, that, that is a lot of the work that we are doing with the collaboration and the MOU that we are announcing today um, around the ability to have these kinds, to create a framework around the commercial relationships that we have. That's as close as she gets to answering the question, listen to where this goes. And it's important because this is actually all we have. There is additional work that we, we are intending to do which is about, for example, the work that I'm going to do tomorrow when I visit the farm and highlight the mutual concern that we have in addressing the climate crisis. Oh, yeah. We're going to improve their economy by focusing on the climate crisis. Again, because that's all we have. We don't manufacture anything except so-called social justice. So that's what we're exporting. We're going to dump a bunch of money to them that'll all go to China while we talk about social justice issues and thinking about how we can bring new technologies and and innovative approaches to industries such as the agricultural industry. Um, We intend to do the work of not only investing in the innovation that is taking there, um, we refer to it as smart agriculture, some refer to it as Um, agri-tech. She's going back to talking to two-year-olds again, (laughs) people who who are uh, farmers who don't have any idea what farming is. The application of technology to, to thinking about satellite technology, for example, and how that gives us data and information that we can give to farmers to give them a better idea of what the seasons might bring that food that is going to grow with all that technology ain't coming to us by the way it's going to feed them it's going to feed other african nations and it's going to feed china 
so they can make smart decisions about what type of crops to plant. Um, this is the work that we are doing together as well, understanding that we can share and exchange ideas that will be to our mutual benefit. So we are doing that work, and we are also doing the work, uh, and I will always do the work, of uplifting the importance of, of, of gender equality and making sure that, for example, that we are paying attention to the needs of women and economic empowerment of women. Um, I do strongly believe, I think most of us would agree, that when you lift up the economic status of women, you lift up the economic status of families and all of society benefits. And so paying attention to those issues is part of an economic agenda um, as well as anything else. Okay, let's pick that apart for just a second. She's wrong. Uh, women earning is not necessarily good for the family unit. Uh, one of the, you don't want to have both parents working if you can avoid it. It's best for a family unit if one parent is working and one parent is at home. Uh, but she, they, they're, they're, uh, they're attempting to do there what they've done here, which is destroy the family unit, obviously. Uh, and oppress and women is, by what, making them work for less money. Right. Uh, uh, the taking and taking them away from their families. The uh, the other uh, part of it that uh, l- let me just ask you the question again was how what can you do to help us get our goods into your market? And she's talking about feminism. Yeah, we can have gender equality and low carbon emissions. And that is because that's all we have. That's all we have is virtue signaling. That's why we're losing. That's why we're going to lose. Everybody plan accordingly. At least we're going to lose in the short run. I don't know. You know, I mean, we're going to take a lot of pain, and I think it's going to be a lot of pain that's necessary to get our heads on straight. Hopefully we survive it. My sense of patriotism just jumps off the charts when I see her abroad representing us with such strength. Power. <laughs> She's one aneurysm away from the, from the, from the seat of power, my friend. All right, so I think we have to push our segment from Big DNAZ on the uh, China interference in Canada's elections to the next episode. We're already we're we're approaching three hours. I don't think we do it in this episode. I think we push it. No, but we thank Big D and encourage more people to be like Big D. Not yes, in, Big D. Not I, in his the segment's ready. To, We're gonna do it. Not in his ability to criticize us, but in his ability to produce, to bring stories. We want you people out there listening. Bring us stuff. Bring us stories to talk about. You guys, we only have two sets of eyes. It takes a lot of time to put together a segment, and if you guys find ideas for us. I think it's going to enhance the show greatly. It's going to give us uh, other interesting perspectives. So if you find yourself looking at a story that you think we should be talking about or you want to hear our take on it, do what Big D is doing. and Write us at truth at truthbait.com. Truth at truthbait.com. Uh, I can play something light to close us out. Uh, I found, this was very interesting, I found a YouTube channel that is called Insolent Audits. <laughs> and it's basically like a different kind of uh, libs of TikTok. <laughs> it's, they're staking out a different territory because there's so much craziness on TikTok. 
that you can build an entire career platforming it and criticizing it. So uh, this one is dedicated to deconstructing and uh, uh, a a feminist's uh, criticism of men. So listen to this. Ladies, listen up. We as women actually collectively have to start a movement to not accept less. There are so many women out there accepting way less than the bare minimum from men. How do I know this? Well, I've been there and I've seen it with my own eyes many times. The only reason that this phenomena can keep perpetuating is because we as women believe that we won't get better from men, so we accept less than we know we deserve. And this creates a whole pool of men who get away with giving women less than they deserve. And I'm not even talking about like men paying for everything or doing anything outrageous. I'm talking like simple bare minimum stuff, like basic communication, basic fulfilling of needs, being a gentleman, paying for dates, planning dates in advance, basic human respect, being romantic, doing small gestures, holding a door open, pulling a seat out for your lady. That's why I say if he's not giving you what you deserve, just leave. And by us doing this, we show them that it's going to take more than minimal effort to get a woman. And they can't get away with that anymore because we only need them in our lives if they're adding value. Okay. (laughs) So. It sounds like they're trying to go back to the Stone Age. that, That is exactly right. She is. I have a lot of sympathy for what she's saying. She is giving voice. She doesn't even realize it. But she's giving voice to the desire to have a traditional male relationship. She wants chivalry. Now, of course, she's a very selfish, self-centered woman of our times and thinks that she should just be able to get all the chivalry and the traditional male uh, role without fulfilling the traditional female role and providing the value that she returns. She wants a value for value model that doesn't require her uh, bringing any value to the table. And that's probably not uncommon. But I, I feel for her she's right she should have those things she just should also be ready to uh carry her end of that bargain and be a lady and be a lady that's right (laughs) i think she's close she's close she's really close ladies out there if this if you want these things from your men you're right you should have these things let's go back (laughs) let's go back to the way things were Wait, Let's make I relationships just great say, again. I just heard you say you want to drag women around by their hair and beat them over the head with a club. Well, I would let them vote. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and let's. I've got one last clip to finish this off with. And I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna do something really quick. I'm moving this over to the final line because the only way that this is really going to work is if it plays right into it. Here we go, Jeremy. This is clip of the day. If men are from Mars and women are from Venus, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that all the other genders were pulled out of Uranus. Wow. <laughs> Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you have made it through another episode of the Truth Bait Podcast. If you are still listening, you are a trooper and you are among our most dedicated listeners. We love you. We love all of our listeners. 
share the show, comment on the show and rate it, please. We need the ratings. We need the positive feedback. Negative feedback, send us privately. Positive feedback, post it everywhere. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Rate the show in more than one location. Follow the show on more than one player. And share the show. Share the show. We are here every Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Saturday. And maybe a different Thank day you. if that's the best our ability allows us that week. Thank you for hanging in there and being patient and waiting for this show. We hope you found it to fulfill all of your truth bait needs. And hopefully we did a better job today on some of these topics than some people felt we did last time. We, I can say with certitude, with absolute certitude, we produced a better show today than we would have yesterday. It's like... No question. It was the right it's move. This, it's like jobs saved or created. It's the same thing. <laughs> You'll never know if it's really true or not, but we told you it is. So believe it. And now back to the sea of clickbait with you all. 